Alrighty, good evening everybody. We are convening here today as democracy crumbles once more. Uh, Never realized before, I guess roughly 2016, that American democracy was so incredibly fragile that we would be constantly ensnared by these uh, death knell scenarios where... um, just over the horizon, the uh, total destruction of our society as we know it is is imminent. Anyway, hello, Richard. Hey, Michael. How are you? Good. How's uh, how's it going? We, um, I guess we're t- we're taking a li- little bit more of a lazy approach recently, so we skipped another week. But I guess that's uh, to be expected in August. Uh, it was my fault. I had a, my one vacation of the year. Uh, and I tried to tried to set it up later in the week, but it didn't work. And then, le- and then the other week was was it, I forget what happened the other week. But you, yeah, were in, we you were in you were in DC. You were in you were in DC. Oh yeah, I was in DC. Yeah. I was in DC, and then I had application. But yeah, we're back. Hopefully, we're back. What's uh, what? Do you want to give just some innocuous uh, vacation details? Sounds. I would. I'd <laughs> I like to, to know. I went to Legoland. Legoland. Yeah. The hell? Where the hell? That, uh, that, you, you went alone for vacation. To Lego no, Land. I went with my, my, <laughs> my family. Yeah, Legoland. Is out where here. is Legoland? Legoland is in Orange County, I think. Is it? It's like, huh. it's like, an, yeah, it's like two hours uh, south of uh, LA. Did you, uh, were you edified by it? Oh, yeah, it was actually fun. I mean, it was, uh, you know, for kids' stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, like a bunch of Disney and stuff, and you walk around. And it's like it's you know it's like it sucks because it's like so hot and you're just walking around in the sun all the time. But Legoland yeah. is built for like smaller kids, so they're like you know for like hmm. three five girls. So it's like you know the lines aren't long, like the distances aren't great. Like there's a lot of fun stuff. The hotel is uh, the hotel is cool. They have like an arcade in the hotel. They have uh, like Legos to play with, like in the hotel lobby. Uh, they have like these you know giant Lego towers you can build. Uh, it's pretty cool. I was I was impressed by it. Huh. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been to the perimeter of Disneyland in Anaheim, but I've never been to Disney. I've never been to any uh, amusement park or theme park on the West Coast. But of course, uh, when Disney? I was when I was yeah when I was a kid, going to the Disney World in Florida was like a pilgrimage that every family seemed to make at least once or twice. So we did do that as a kid. I guess Legoland is not one of those destinations where you, like some adults would go without children, which I guess no, you, you Disney World not. seems to be. Yeah. Uh, right. No, it's like not, there's I some there's like I, there's like some hip, I forget what it's called, but in Disney World in Orlando there's like some hip Disney like nightlife section where uh, adults will fly in from wherever Michigan to go on their one vacation, which seems a bit I, mean, I don't want to judge too harshly those I don't know, but uh, not the kind there's of vacation of, I would necessarily want to take as an adult. Wasn't there some think piece, a think piece in like the New York, or maybe it was just like a Twitter thread of some academic about adults who like Disney, and I don't remember what her point was. She was saying it was problematic or not problematic. I don't know, something like that. But uh, yeah, this is this is a big this is a big <laughs> thing. I mean, Disney has real roller coasters and stuff like Legoland. Really, like they have like a you know like the giant drop kind of thing. They have one, but it's like a very small mini version for kids. So it goes up like twenty feet, you know, up and down. Like you can put a three-year-old in a like a little car that you have to drive, so it's like it's all built for little kids. It would be very, very strange, I think, if an adult went there by itself. Maybe I should uh, run an experiment to just go there by myself and see if I draw any scrutiny. 
<laughs> yeah. And then I'll, I'll and I'll report back on Twitter. I'm sure that would go over well. Yeah, yeah, it's a very um, yeah. So it's just yeah. I have a I have a friend uh, from from like high school who I th- at some point went to like there's some new ish Harry Potter land or something. It's either in Disney World or in like the Orlando Mega Theme Park Complex, so like Universal Studios or something like that. So you know, adults do uh, adults do that kind of thing. Yeah, you gotta well, yeah. You always always watch out for the Harry Potter the Harry Potter adults. That's the that is, the, you know, they end up in DHS. So, do you take like a you you specifically like declared to yourself and your immediate family that okay, if like for this one week in August or whatever, I'm going on full vacation, so no like work at all. Did you sneak in some work, or did no, you make no, like I a still, conscious I, choice to with to no, abstain? No. I I can't I can't not do like I can't not yeah do, me too <laughs> yeah like I got to write something or tweet something or. Uh, you know, uh, read something or do, yeah. So I, I, I never, I never unplug completely. So like, yeah, when I have downtime, I'll either like read stuff I need to read for work. Or, like I said, I'll tweet. Um, I usually writing, I need time to sort of sit there and not be disturbed. So I usually right. don't do that, but like everything else that's, you know, quote unquote work, uh, I'll be doing. Yeah. I think the most normal people can make like a neat distinction between their leisure time and their work time, but I really can't because they, all sort of merge they like both merge together yeah which is a benefit yeah. of doing something that you generally like and would probably do anyway as a job yeah exactly so like yeah we'd have like group chats and friends i text with and you know what are we texting about we're texting about the stuff i'm tweeting about the stuff we need to talk about yeah. uh, so you know that's 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 spending time with friends and that that's pretty much indistinguishable for from from work yeah also you know having written now for public consumption regularly or semi-regularly for going on like 11, 12 years or something. Like I almost don't feel good. Like I don't feel good if I'm not writing at least at some reasonable interval. So I couldn't even enjoy not writing for too long. You know, I would feel like this, this oppressive hankering after a couple days, so like I, I, I wouldn't even be able to 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 have like unbridled leisure time, like most people. I feel like probably can. Yeah, I think it's it sounds like we're just like bragging. Oh, I, you know, I, this and that. Uh, you know, I, I, but I think that's like that's how a lot of people actually are. Uh, hold on, once. Hold on one second, Michael. Uh, yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, I, I, that is right. I tried to not be like that to try to say, "Oh, you know, you did this, this stuff, and that stuff." Um, and so I, uh, uh, you know, it's like I'm like I like look back and say, "Okay, I, I you know, wrote this this article, this book, this uh, this thing," and then I try to just sort of take it in. And that that like, if I need a break, I'll, I'll try to say, "Okay." You've done yeah. that. <laughs> like you can you could you could calm down. You could take it. You could take a day or two. I'm actually finishing a book right now. I mean, it's, it's a tough time. It was it's actually a tough time for the vacation uh, because oh, okay. it's. Uh, uh, I haven't you know I haven't publicly announced the details of this yet, but it's like I'm right at the finish line. I mean, I, it's, oh, it's, wow. just, it's just it's just proofreading right now, um, and so I'll have. And are, is this distribute going to be distributed like your? First, was no, the, was, was the one before your first one, or is this different? A whole different setup. Yeah, whole different. It's a real. I mean, it's a real. We have the same agent. 
Oh, do we? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember <laughs> Off, offline, I'll tell you who else has this agent. Yeah. No, he's uh, yeah, he's recruiting all the all the best people from online. But uh, all the yeah, all, all the problem all the problematic people. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a normal book you can get for whatever twenty bucks or whatever normal book costs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've um. I have a book project as well that I probably am not quite as diligent as you in uh, completing in a reasonable amount of time. Although it is going to come out eventually, so. But not not it's not. I don't have. A, I'm not. I'm not in a position to tangibly make an announcement to that effect yet. But it will come out in like the near-ish future. So. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. I guess I don't. <laughs> on the forthcoming work. <laughs> I don't feel like I should be congratulated, but um, sorry. Okay, so uh, I think we are obliged to discuss the latest uh, Trump mayhem. I want to make a meta point that is almost like self-indicting because often I will observe that you know, like CNN or some other mainstream outlet, or even just like the standard histrionic Twitter crowd are overwhelmingly consumed with Trump-related news such that you'd almost forget that there's another president in office at the moment. And it's just like a bizarre situation. Like there are a couple times where on a whim I'll just – and this was before this latest week. Um, but past couple a month or so, every now and then I'd look at like the CNN YouTube page, for example, and just ta- tally up the, the videos that are on the screen as like the latest output. And it would be like eight out of – 10 are Trump related in July of 2022. It's just like just a fundamentally absurd situation. I mean, obviously, you know what the business logic is there. Um, And likewise, I guess you would know why, you know, Fox might want to focus more on the incumbent Democratic president. But even Fox, you know, they've there there was reporting last month, I think, that they were sour, like that the Murdoch empire was souring on Trump because there was this negative editorial in the New York Post about Trump's role in January 6th. And the gist of it was basically that, you know, even if he can't be criminally charged with anything related to January 6th, it disqualifies him as someone with the requisite character to be president again, that kind of thing. So there were all these tea leaves being read about how, uh, you know, the Murdoch News Corp empire was gravitating away from Trump and there was slightly and Trump hadn't been on Fox News I think in a couple of months or something and there was talk about how you know they were uh, uh, trying to boost DeSantis instead um, yeah that's a very so, so anyway, old, so, a very, old uh, very old trend I've been hearing that for years <laughs> the right yeah I, yeah I, I never really bought it um, but now even on Fox which had supposedly made this clean break from Trump and was trying to hype another Republican presidential candidate potentially, even they are now, I mean, just yesterday, I just sampled a bit of what was on Fox, you know, throughout the day. And it's like full bore pro Trump, including because every Republican elected official that goes on TV or makes some sort of statement is basically singing from the same hymn book. I mean, I saw Rand Paul and Tim Scott and a bunch of different uh, congressmen and stuff all ba- have the same line, more or less, in defense of Trump and in uh, criticizing you know, the Justice Department in launching this raid or search 
uh, on Monday. Um, you know, it's funny on a, I was I watched a Fox clip where they did a montage of what the other networks were saying about the raid, and they were chastising these other networks for being too uh, celebratory about what Fox regards, or as what you know what the conservative uh, media class regards as a you know indefensible infringement on our liberty, and not it's not just about Trump, it's what. Well, what they can now do to us, if they could even do it to him. And they showed a little clip of uh, Maggie Haberman from the New York Times on CNN. And she said that all of us are going to remember where we were today. Like it was <laughs> like August 8th, 2022, as though we were the same as in the same category as uh, 9-11 or Pearl Harbor. Um, and I, I just sort of enjoyed that because the August 8th, the day of the raid happened to be my birthday. So now my birthday will go down in infamy. It's <laughs> the day that um, I don't know. We reached, we crossed the Rubicon constitutionally. Who knows exactly? But I mean, what is? Uh, I saw a couple of tweets from you where you're uh, seeming to push back on people making overly definitive um, statements about like what the basis for the search was, or extrapolating too much in, in the absence of uh, facts, which, you know, I agree with on principle, I and mean, people ought not to do that, especially if you're in the media. But um, what's, your, what's your basic uh, take on what's unfolded so far? Well, we know, I mean, we know a little bit more than we did at the start. We know that um, it's something to do with, it's actually about documents and records what those records uh, are like, you know, if they could have got them um, through another way, we don't, we don't know that. I think the Trump people will say they could have got them. And then the uh, government, you know, the government, I don't know if they've like have a response to that. I think the anonymous reports in the, in the papers say that basically like they couldn't have, and they just, they needed to, uh, they needed to do this. Um, It's, uh, you know, like when it gets rated at the start, you think like, I actually thought it could be like a big deal, not, you know, but as much as Maggie Haberman thinks, but you know, the president, if, if he was just going to be arrested, should be arrested for something uh, is a big deal. But no, this is about the records. My understanding is that the, they never prosecute anybody over this stuff. Like they'll, you know, they'll go back and they'll, they'll get their uh, classified documents. Um, and so, you know, I mean, this will, um, this will, uh, you know, it'll, it'll either, you know, there's got to be some kind of bombshell here. Like he had, the, you know, this, so this is the news story that just came out in the last hour or so. Is yeah, the nu- nuclear documents. Yeah, this is the Washington Post. It's related. All it said, like this is, I just hate this kind of reporting. It's like it, all this article says, it's the documents, according to sources, are related to nuclear weapons. Like what does that mean? It could mean anything, right? Well, but, but they didn't even get that. I mean, as vague as it was, it wasn't even that specific what was reported in this Washington Post article that just came out in the past hour or so. That's what I said. It's just as relating it was, to yeah, nuclear weapons. That's yeah. it. Documents related to nu- nuclear weapons were, were, quote, sought. So not even that they knew they were there or they recovered them. Ah, okay. Just that they they're saying that 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 those were among the documents that were allegedly sought. Okay, I didn't. Oh, you're, you're, Which you're, means that there could be no reader. nuclear documents at all. Uh huh. Uh, you, okay, you're you're a more careful reader than me. You're right. And if you sought, want to take the most cynical it. interpretation of why this particular story came out and why this information was just leaked to the Washington Post, it's because it makes the most explosive claim, you know, or one of the most explosive claims that you could imagine as to what kind of material was being illicitly stored at Mar-a-Lago. Right, but they're not saying anything that necessarily binds them to 
the truth of those documents physically being there. They could just say that they're among the universe of things that were, you know, yeah. conceivably sought, which, you know, lets them off the hook if it turns out that there's really nothing of great yeah. import there. Yeah, and, well, you know, nuclear related to nuclear. I mean, it could be, it could be anything, right? It could be nuclear codes or it could be, uh, I don't know, like some public some information that's well known and already in the public domain. It, it doesn't tell you anything and like what the you know what they're doing obviously there's like a agenda here um behind the leaking and the media just like goes along with like they'll they'll play this game where the government will give them like one more nuclear weapons and then they'll you know they'll print that and then people's imaginations will run wild and then you know they'll do this thing again and then you know who knows if there's something there or there's something not but there's like so much smoke there like now the memory, like whatever ends up happening in the end, the memory is like Trump had some kind of secrets related to nuclear weapons. That sort of becomes, you know, yeah. or at least there's, there's questions about it. It's taken as like, you know, gospel. It's taken as something that was uh, established fact. Um, yeah. And this is, this is where the, the lingering effects of my Russiagate brain sort of kick back into action because I was pretty invested in the day-to-day minutia of that story for – I don't know, three, four years. And even in hindsight, back and forth, you can kind of draw on aspects of it for more contemporary stories and so on. It's a whole saga. But a a key component of Russiagate were these strategically timed leaks that on some days, like in 2017, 2018, you'd have like two two or three supposedly bombshell New York Times articles Snippets of which would then rocket across Twitter and cable news and would give this impression that so much smoke was billowing around the story that, of course, there had to be fire. But then upon further inspection of the specific details of each of these stories, usually you could find that there were pretty glaring deficiencies in like how they were presented or the factual basis for what was being reported or you know it was clear that certain sources were being used over and over again including both former and current you know intelligence or national security officials it was just a pattern that of course most people in the media did not want to see not just because it undermined the veracity of this whole narrative arc necessarily but because it was in everyone's interest commercially, ideologically, emotionally to think that each of these supposedly bombshell stories was this gigantic um, uh, turning point for the fortunes of Trump because uh, it kind of you know, kept everyone engaged in what seemed like an espionage thriller at times. And so like one of the initial thoughts that I had, and this, I, I grant this is pure speculation. I, I, I prefaced my, a tweet where I offered this theory yesterday by acknowledging that yeah, it's pure speculation because there's very limited information right now. But the, and the initial kind of assumption it seemed when this raid was launched was that it couldn't possibly just be to do with records, like presidential records, because disputes over the maintenance of presidential records under the Presidential Records Act tend to be litigated without even getting anywhere near the realm of criminality, right? Would have been almost unthinkable. Um, Hillary, I mean, not to do the what about is something where people always reflexively bring up Hillary Clinton, but I also covered the email story pretty closely in 2016-ish, and... Um, 
Hillary Clinton was essentially denounced by her by the State Department, by the Inspector General of the State Department, which she ran as Secretary of State, for among other things, violating presidential, uh, violating the State Department's own protocols around document retention, and um, that had some bearing on, like the constellation of laws that kind of undergird the Presidential Records Act. I might not have the specific details there exactly correct, but there was definitely an open, there was definitely an open question as to whether she violated document retention laws, but obviously that wouldn't have been enough to charge her criminally, or at least it was widely assumed at the time that that wouldn't have been enough at all to uh, bring charges against her. Um, and you know, so now there seems so you know while I do think it's a bit tedious at times when Republicans will just you know for the eight billionth time bring up Hillary Clinton, um, there actually are some pretty clear potential parallels here. At least if you take at face value what is being cited as the, the rationale for this particular raid, which has to do with document retention, and that was what was um, what the email server story was you know fundamentally about. Um, so, but but in terms of like the Russiagate brain, that of course like reinfects me when these kind of you know deliberately placed leaks start flurrying and anything to do with Trump and supposedly violating national security norms or whatever, um, I couldn't help but think that it it seems plausible that if there's if they're sending if if the reporting is true right and in June the senior Justice Department f- official for counterintelligence went to Mar-a-Lago and had this encounter with Trump and his lawyers. And then this, the Wall Street Journal reported this today and then emailed Trump's lawyer to simply fulfill a basic request, which was, you know, place a more um, sturdy lock or padlock or something on the basement where these documents were being held. Then, you know, why would a counterintelligence official be there? And now they're saying that Part of the rationale supposedly is that this could jeopardize national security. So, I mean, maybe this is far-fetched or maybe this is just me being too mired in my former Russiagate brain. But I, I honestly would not be totally shocked if they tried to resurrect some kind of espionage thriller angle here that relates to Russia. Because maybe they could say that he's still trying to collude with Putin. Like, I don't know if you remember the Helsinki, from the Helsinki summit in 2018 that everyone totally flipped out about. One of the sort of... Um, ancillary storylines associated with that was that supposedly Trump was covering up or refusing to release the translator's notes for his private meeting with Putin, right? And and the idea was this was going to have some sort of smoking gun damning information on on their collusive relationship. So maybe that could be claimed to be in this batch. Uh, Who who knows? Uh, I, I just think it seems like it's potentially ripe here for a resurrection of like some sequel to you know the Russiagate saga but then again who knows maybe it could just be January 6th related maybe it's just a confluence of a bunch of different angles I don't know well, That's, uh, I tend not to want to speculate about this kind of stuff but we're kind of left with no choice yeah, January, I don't know about January sixth. I mean, that's an independent, you know, thing, and you know, that's apparently it's it's about it's about documents, and I don't know. I think there would be, you know, it, it, who knows? Like, there could be something. You're right. There could there could be attempt to resurrect something. There could actually be something. I mean, I think that uh, the Jared Kushner, a lot of the stuff with the Gulf Arab states, I think, is very sort of. Uh, uh, sort of iffy. Um, so it's not a Which, I mean, that's, and that stuff really does seem straightforwardly sorted, meaning with, with Kushner. 
Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot that potentially you could imagine um, that could actually be a board that Trump wouldn't want them to have there. But, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, it's the most, that's probably, that's probably like a, you know, a very unlikely scenario. I mean, the most likely scenario is, you know, the most likely scenario is they'll never tell us, you know, you read these news stories and they're like, um, we can't like, we like the, the, you know, the the documents are classified and even like describing the documents would be classified. I mean, this was one of the reports um, uh, somewhere talk uh, was the, um, uh, was it the Times or the Post? One of them. They're like, you know, the, the, there's a there's a list. There was apparently a list of like unclassified documents they wanted, and then there was a list of classified documents they wanted. And some of those classified documents couldn't even be described because that that would be classified. That's like too much information. Uh, so you know, unless they, I, I don't think they'll probably charge him. Um, I think you know they they might end up just. Um, you know, they might want to just end up where, like, they'll say, oh, you know, we got what we needed, it was classified. They'll leak stuff, like, to the to the newspaper saying, you know, it's uh, it's related to nuclear weapons. They'll make people think the worst, but I don't think it can stay like that. I think so- it'll get out somewhere. I mean, it'll get so- somewhere what this, this was all about, and you know, we'll eventually find out. I, I just don't know. Well, I mean, there has been investigative activity related to the January 6th related infractions that's you know touched upon trump aids um like this guy eastman who was his lawyer who came up with the cockamamie strategy to uh delay the electoral the reports are wrong then if that's what they're looking for or, or somebody's well, misleading or something so the yeah you're right. i mean uh, well yeah i mean but then well, again, they, well, if, they, if, if, if they're seeking if they're seeking documents related to national security, that's an extremely broad concept because one of the fundamental claims of why January six was such a big deal supposedly is that it could jeopardize Amer- national security, right? Because it was you know they call it a coup attempt. I mean, there's nothing more you know existentially threatening to national security. Yeah, but that than doesn't have classified. That doesn't have classified. If they say it's about the. If it's re- about records, um, what did Marley Gar- what did Garland say today about that? Uh, uh, he said he said very little, but it was interesting because you know the the thing to do if they wanted to, if the if Garland wanted to remain totally impartial and treat this as any other investigation, the thing to do would be to not say anything because you know there were so many recriminations over Comey's conduct in 2016 where he did give a fairly unprecedented press conference in criticizing Hillary Clinton's conduct while still stating that no reasonable prosecutor would have brought charges Wait, against so, her. So, so this um, was initiated at the, at the request of the National Archives, right? So the National um, Archives is- They made, I mean, I can't, it, it's, very, it's very ambiguous, and a lot of this is only the, our first blush understanding of how this came about. So, you know, apparently there was already some dispute over document retention that was reported in February of this year where the doc- the National Archives made some kind of query to the Justice Department because they weren't getting they you know again I'm I'm almost reluctant to to relay these reports with face value so I'm sure there's going to be a ton to, that comes out that we're not already uh, privy well, with we, we um, might get the warrant tomorrow I mean the, the, okay. the Justice Department's going to ask to the warrant to be unsealed and I think that. That by three p.m. Yeah. the Trump uh, uh, the attorneys have the um, you know have the right to uh, 
challenge that or not. So we'll, we'll, we'll but but, but Garland, Garland, Garland did say that one of the reasons that the DOJ was going to move to file a motion to unseal the search warrant was because of, quote, the substantial public interest in this matter. Right. So, so that's like, Garland. Yeah. That's Garland acknowledging that external factors beyond the mere details of the investigation itself are motivating no, they Department of Justice that's, behavior. No, that's they do that. I mean, as far as like you know, like Colby when he talked about Hillary's emails, um, you know. Well, right. Yeah. So they they do right, they, but that was that was repudiated as uh, an, an an incredible. Yeah, infringement on on norms. And actually, hilariously, I don't know if you remember this, but when Trump ultimately fired Comey, they put out a uh, cover story where they're claiming that he was that Comey was fired because he acted so improperly in revealing those details of the Hillary investigation. And then Trump Trump went and then told Lester Holt, right, that uh, that yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that started the whole. That started the whole Russia. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing how. Yeah, then. The, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, last point on this, and then we'll go to some callers because there's a bunch lined up already. But. <coughs> sorry, what's your what's your initial? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I tried to cough, and then because Colin is still a slightly glitchy app, I. Uh, was not able to unmute immediately. Anyway, um, what's your uh, sort of initial reading on the political ramifications here? Because I was reading, like, there was a political article I read yesterday where they anonymously quoted an aide to who they described as a, quote, potential rival of Trump's in the Republican nomination, uh, for the Republican nomination 24. And this aide said, now, you know, it's over. They're just going to coordinate him, you know, forget it. So basically the idea being that this kind of sealed uh, Trump almost running in an uncontested primary. I, th- I think that's a bit premature, um, at least until we get more details about you know, what the supposed basis for this raid was. But as yet, since Monday, there does seem to be a coalescence, even among re- Republican elected officials, around Trump as just the presumed future nominee and you know they're speaking about him in those terms which is why they're saying it's such an incredible um affront for the department of justice to have acted in this way because you know tr- uh, trump is gonna is a future rival to biden etc yeah. so um, i mean so desantis is in a strong position so desantis you know is um like you know 10 20 points behind trump now at all he doesn't his rating recognition is not that high uh, actually, and so DeSantis has been in a good position. It probably helps Trump um, a little bit marginal. You know, it depends. Are there bombshells here? I mean, was he selling the nuclear codes or something? I mean, who knows? Uh, so it depends on sort of the uh, you know, it, it depends on sort of the, um, uh, the the details of this thing. If it's just some document and it's like it's not that big of a deal, um, that's gonna do well for Trump. I mean, you don't know. He could be you know, he could be raided again. There's several. Like uh, legal investigations, there's a January sixth stuff. There's Fulton. County well, he could be criminally Georgia. charged, right? Because in order to secure the pre- the uh, search warrant, yeah, yeah, it had to be had to be at least asserted that yeah, but my was some likelihood that they could find criminal wrongdoing. Yeah. yeah, but my understanding is that nobody like nobody's ever charged under this thing, so it would be a big step to you know to do him the you know be the first one. But, there's but, other, but there's other he, things he could be charged under some law related to 
the uh, maintenance of classified information. So not the Presidential Records Act, but some classified information statute. Yeah, yeah, there could be, yeah, there could be something um, there. I think, that, I think that there, it would be a pretty radical step to prosecute him for paperwork. The Georgia, like Fulton County, like the feds don't control Fulton County in Georgia. Like they could, you know, they could. Uh, he just hired some uh, hip hop, you know, some hip hop uh, uh, attorney, some guy who defends like all yeah, these rappers. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> uh, and so this this seems like a serious thing. I think New York he just got disposed deposed. Was that a criminal or was that a simple thing? Um, that was civil. That's related to the tax affairs yeah. of the Trump organization. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I guess the Fulton County one, and there's, I, I can't imagine them charging him with January six. So yeah, I guess the Fulton County is the real thing, and then it could be something. So you don't know. He could be he could be charged with um, something, but it helps him. But still, I mean, I, it helps him now. But like still, like you know, the elections a long time, <laughs> elections a long time away, and there's enough like time for like this new cycle. To like turn over for you know if this is you know if it just it ends up like he's not charged and they just got some documents and six months from now this is not going to have been the biggest thing in the world right it's just going to be Trump and DeSantis pretty much same situation as before yeah um I do think there's a bit of a pundit like a conservative pundit overhyping of DeSantis because they personally meaning conservative pundits. Yeah, but that, that uh, would that personally matters. prefer DeSantis. Yeah. That matters, and, you know, and they never preferred Trump as their ideal, like, emblem for their political vision, even going back to 2016. And, of course, many accommodated themselves to Trump, but even some became pretty vociferous supporters. But it's sort of funny that we're sort of, at least in terms of the intelligentsia, we're, we're back to where we started with, with Trump. And in, I even include... I think we might have talked about this, correct me if I'm wrong, but like there are even, there's even a whole crew of conservative, I don't know if you want to call them intellectuals, but, you know, take uh, peddlers and such who um, crafted a whole kind of renewed vision of conservatism in accordance with the, you know, uh, tectonic shifts that Trump ushered in. And uh, even they, and, you know, they started this whole national conservatism movement and, Whatever, and uh, but even they seem to not want Trump to be their <laughs> their uh, avatar anymore, if they ever did. And so I think there's a lot of uh, there's. I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't discount that DeSantis has a strong chance, uh, if especially if you know something does jeopardize Trump. Um, but I, I do detect a bit of uh, puffery around DeSantis that reminds me slightly. Not 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 solely, but um, there's a slight resemblance that I detect into the boosterism uh, in terms of an, uh, an analogy. The boosterism in 2015-16 of uh, Rubio, where he was like supposed seen as the vanguard candidate for you know cutting edge conservatism, which seems ridiculous now because you know Rubio is seen as a neocon and whatever. But like National Review loved Rubio. Um, and he was definitely the favored candidate for a uh, certain pundit cohort. And I think uh, DeSantis's appeal is probably broader across the pun- the conservative intelligentsia than Rubio's was, but there's a slight echo of that maybe premature boosting that I s- think I am in the early phases of detecting. 
Yeah, uh, I think you're right that a lot of it is uh, wish casting. Um, the thing about DeSantis is, I you know, there's only one of him, and there was there was Rubio last time. Uh, that was like, but Rubio was not the favorite of like the movement conservatives. I mean, the like people like Cruz, they thought he was more conservative than uh, Rubio. Trump had the immigration issue, um, so there was like this split. There was Cruz won the Iowa. You know, Jeb was supposed to be something, but he ended up being nothing. Uh, so there was Rubio. Uh, Rubio so was the favorite like, for the, the the conventional establish you know conservative movement types. I, don't, um, I, think, I think it was. I think, I mean, I Cruz, think uh, Cruz was more of the evangelical Christian candidate. Uh, I think people there a lot of people did not like Rubio because he, they thought he was uh, because of immigration. He was much more um, uh, friendly to immigration than, than yeah. Cruz but he was. hardened on it. I mean, Cruz tried to attack him. Meaning attack Rubio yeah. constantly on immigration. But what there was there was two yeah. of them. They were they were both pretty on equal almost equal footing. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know there was um, you know there was. Uh, was there was there a uh, you know Kasich at the end? But yeah, he was only he was just he just happened hanging around like so. It was, there was Cruz and there was Rubio, um, and there was like Jeb. He was like the establishment favorite for a while before he collapsed. But but DeSantis is going in, and DeSantis is going to have, uh, you know, every uh, pretty much everywhere. You say all the pundits love. Yeah, I mean, it's the, all the pundits love him. I mean, he's, he unites basically the writers and the and the talk show hosts and. Um, the activists and there's there's you know cruiser uh, uh, Pence is going to run. They're not going to you know they're not going to be I think in much competition with him. And so that's the danger to Trump is that like if there was just one guy against Trump, I mean Trump wasn't winning fifty yeah. percent of those uh, primaries. If there was one guy, he could have you know he could have lost. Um, so that's Maybe. that's the strength of DeSantis. That's what makes him you know, serious. Yeah, but I, I, I also, I'm not sure that DeSantis is enough of of a behemoth that he could clear the field as the obvious. Trump alternative, right? I mean, you even have you have guys like even you know, Tim Scott, who I just mentioned. You know, he has a memoir that he just put out, which is the obvious precursor to potentially running for president. There was even like a publisher blurb on his memoir where it kind of you know strongly alluded to him running. Um, so clearly, I mean, he's in the process of. I'm not saying he was a he's a particularly viable candidate, but you know, Ted Cruz has been talking. Uh, off and on about running again because you know he was the runner-up in 2016, and you know the custom in the Republican Party is that the runner-up, you know, becomes the nominee at some point. Happily, you know, Reagan and uh, McCain and Romney and such. Um, so, I mean, I, I, basically, the the operating principle that you should go on is that any of these people who thinks they even have a re- the slightest chance of winning the nomination are probably going to run. That's why the, the fields nowadays are so enormous. Um, so, you know, I think obviously, you know, uh, DeSantis will be very formidable, but I'm not convinced that he's such, uh, he's so formidable that he would, uh, you know, block out other potential candidates from running and then also potentially splitting the anti-Trump vote. Yeah. I mean, they could, they could, other candidates could run. It's just, I mean, this is why being the, you know, being the favorite of all of conservative media helps. If all of conservative media is saying, this guy DeSantis, he's, you know, he's the chosen one. He's awesome. And like, you know, everyone basically agrees. Uh, then, you know, the, those those people might not, you know, might not get ahead. Now, it's, it's hard to, it's actually, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to imagine how DeSantis, like, is mean to Trump or how he even attacks Trump. I mean, this yeah. is the... Uh, 
Uh, it's like everyone has been throwing their feet, at, you know, falling to the feet of this guy um, for the last six years, just going along with whatever he says. And then, you know, I, I wrote a little, I wrote a little uh, speech for like DeSantis he would give now. I mean, it would be, it would be something, you know. But then, then I, I deleted. I'm like, this is too speculative. I assume that the raid would be a big deal, but it would be something like you keep kissing up to Trump. And you'd say, "I'm going to pardon you," um, you know, and uh, you know, you're, you're, I'm going to pardon you, and thank you for all you've done for the country. And I'm going to drain the swamp, and you know, I'm never going to, you know, attack you, you, you hero of the republic. You know, something stupid like that. I mean, it's going to have to, he's going to have to run it that <laughs> yeah. way. He's not going to be able to say anything bad yeah. about Trump. And even Trump, it's going to be, you know, Santos is like, you know, is naturally for good reason afraid of attacking Trump. I think Trump is a bit afraid of attacking DeSantis too. I mean, he knows that he can see what's going on in the conservative media. He can see that everyone, you know, is uh, is, is following this guy. Um, and so it'll be, I mean, they're doing this weird dance where like, it's like a movie where like two guys are going to fight at some point. And, well, yeah, like, well, it was, it was a similar, just, it was a similar dance in 2016. Like, re- remember Trump was pretty strategic in who he attacked when. So he went after Jeb Bush pretty much right away and successfully deflated him if Bush was ever inflated at all. But there was always this like, um, yeah, fragile truce between like Trump and Cruz. But then once it came to a head, it was just unbelievably brutal, you know, where, you know, they're going after uh, Trump was going after his wife. And then Trump, you know, Cruz said Cruz called him a sniveling coward and the most corrupt person to ever run or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it could be a replay of, of 2016 in that sense, which, of course, you know, but that's the thing. Like since they already went since Trump already went through a cycle where he's in the most kind of all-out vicious brawl with these other candidates, and then, like, a couple months later, Cruz... Remember, Cruz, like, almost wouldn't... Uh, like, half declined to endorse Trump at the convention, and then he did end up endorsing him, and then they became, you know, big allies where Trump campaigned for Cruz in the Senate race in 2018. So, like, it would be, you know, bygones were bygones. Uh, but it kind of... Uh, it, it would show like the the, the 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 frivolity of a lot of these campaign season attacks that really don't mean anything. But maybe you have to be somewhat more uh, wonkish in your understanding of politics to really recognize in the, that in the moment. I'm sure there would be a lot of you know uh, tension if if that kind yeah. of fight did it's actually break it's out. It's an interesting dynamic because I think the Trump was like at the top, and everyone was just assuming that Trump would fall. And I think that was yeah. the thing. There was a, this was like, they were in denial forever. They're like, oh, why attack Trump? He's going to attack you. And Trump is just going to, you know, fizzle out anyway. And there was like no reason to ever think that. But that's what, that's what, that was the thinking at the time. And then it was also like a collective action problem where like everyone else wanted like everyone else to attack him. Um, and then, you know, they, and, and like other people wanted to just sort of stay out of the line of fire. The other um, thing is though, like the basis for the attacks that will be leveled now against Trump would have to be much different because in 2016, a lot of the time, the when Trump did get attacked, you know, whether early or later, like Rick Perry, who was sort of a minor candidate in 2016, tried to attack Trump like in the summer of 2015 and gave a speech calling Trump a cancer on conservatism. And you know, uh, Cruz would Cruz attack Trump for being wishy washy on abortion, right, or being sort of like a New York liberal. All of that is pretty much mooted. I mean, Trump is the guy who appointed the justices who overturned Roe versus Wade, so it's hard to even see like what the attacks would yeah. look like ideologically. Yeah, somebody on my uh, my Substack I think once commented like, "Oh, 
DeSantis will get up there and he'll be like, you're the guy who didn't fire Fauci. And like, he'd pick out like these four other things. I'm like, no, I, I don't think that's gonna, I don't think that's gonna do it. I think the argument would be something like the deep state is going like, you know, not, not the deep state is good. Like you can't frame it that they're going to win. You know, where he needs to step aside, but something along the lines of, you know, he can't win the general or something like that uh, might be uh, might be an argument you could make. I mean, the funny thing is, if Trump gets in real legal trouble, I mean, I speculate on this, too, that like it's arguable whether he could pardon himself. But DeSantis can certainly pardon him. Right. Like it's 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 like a iffy legal question whether a president can pardon himself. So he might need he might need uh, protection. Uh, well, I, th- I think he I think I remember tweeting when he was president that he had the right to pardon yeah, himself. <laughs> yeah, he does tweet that, but that doesn't uh, mean it's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, be, well, it would probably be decided by the Supreme Court, right? Um, yeah. So it's uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting at the very least. All right, let's go to some uh, some callers here. Rob, you're up. Rob, are you there? Rob, if you're there, you got to press the mute button or the unmute button at the bottom right. And if you're not there, John von Neumann feel free is to here. join the queue again. Is he? <laughs> yeah, John von Neumann oh, is next. Okay. Oh, there's Rob. Hi. Hey. Uh, for what it's worth, Andrew McCarthy former prosecutor who's generally sober on these matters was is reasonably insistent that this is about January 6th and that the prosecutor and that the uh, standard issue prosecutor uh, using an easy charge to get a document search uh, or a search warrant and things like that. Uh, and what, uh, what what's his basis for being so confident that it's related to January 6th, exactly? Uh, because it's so trifling otherwise. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm skeptical of uh, what Richard, I think, more or less said, which is that it's about just document retention. I mean, that would seem like so far more trouble than it could conceivably be worth. Although, if they're now going to claim that, like, nuclear secrets were missing, I guess you could make a document-exclusive argument as to why it was warranted but uh then again who knows yeah i think to why august 8th is going to be a date that will live in infamy is the lights were on the the police lights were on it, it comes down to the visuals mm. yeah well august 8th is already a date that goes down in infamy because i was born on that date and um it was the, all the normie, all the all the Republicans I uh, talk to are mainly DeSantis people who are moving toward Trump. Flesh, yeah, flesh. I don't know why are they moving States toward Trump? Just because, just because of this. Why? Because they feel like he's been wronged, and therefore, like it's their duty Absolutely. to rally around him. Yeah. It's because of Russiagate, fundamentally. Yeah. Two and a half years of lies. Yeah. And it's, I'm not sure. Rob, you're my. I'm not sure who I favor. Rob, are you my? You're right. my. You're my. You're the Rob. I. You're, I know you, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounded familiar. Yeah. Uh, the the. Yeah, I didn't say Michael. I didn't say the. Um, 
I, I'm just going off the reporting, you know. I know, yeah, yeah. Assuming yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if there's other details, right. So so McCarthy thinks that it's a, um, it's a, uh, I mean, don't you, is that, is that like an ethical thing for prosecutors to do, to say? Yes, he says that, well, again, if you treat it as a criminal matter, it's completely legitimate to say if you're, he is, you know, if you've got a drug charge, if you've got dead to rights, and or suspect armed robbery, you go in with the drug charge to get in, to get the prosecutor, to get the search warrant. Uh-huh. He says that, he says he's done that often. And this is standard issue prosecutor stuff. The problem with the Justice Department is they're treating this sort of as a criminal case, sort of as a political case, but not very intelligently as that. Yeah, I mean, there has been reporting in the past couple weeks that Trump isn't himself necessarily a, uh, personally a target of January 6th related criminal investigative activity, but that That's certain nonsense. certain of his con- – well, no, no, I, I was going to say, but that certain of his conduct has been inquired about. So it's like you know, a very vague distinction there, yeah, but like – He's being scrutinized to some degree in relation to January 6th in terms of criminal culpability. The question there is, is he going to be charged for the violence, which he had no role in, or inciting procedural objections that are very – even I I don't have any knowledge of – I don't have – Detailed knowledge of January sixth. Yeah. Well, you know, well, based based on based on some of the individuals who've had their phones seized and such, like Eastman, who was the lawyer. I think there was the um, uh, the the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, and I think of the Arizona Republican Party have also been uh, either questioned or had certain items seized, like their phone and whatnot. Uh, so it seems like, I mean, again, total speculation just based on public reporting, which is necessarily incomplete, but it seems like what they may be focusing on is some kind of like defrauding scheme having to do with these alternate slates of electors that were going to be potentially submitted and that, you know, Pence was thought uh, that he, it was thought that Pence could cite as to there being a conflict as to which electors to seat. Now, I mean, this seems like a bit of a stretch because it's sort of like a political question rather than a criminal question. But, you know, they they could, could come up with a theory where it's, you know, at least, you know, potentially chargeable. So, yeah, who knows? I think I think the, I think it would be not inciting the the January 6th um, uh, mob. I think it would be something about if they, they were going to do a January 6th prosecution, something about a conspiracy to put the pressure on the electors. I think it would be the, you know, this is the Fulton County thing, but it's, it would be, uh, you know, a federal charge of some kind. I don't know exactly what the law is. I mean, but like, it's, it's you know, whatever. It, it, it could be something like that. He tried to convince the election, like there was an election and then he tried to convince, you know, uh, the state officials to do something else. Yep. All right. Let's go to our uh, mathematician friend here. Yeah. Um, Question for you guys: um, Did you vote for Trump in 2020, and will you vote for him in 2024 if he wins the Republican nomination? I, I did not. I mean, I didn't vote for Trump either time. I, uh, I abstained in both the uh, 2016 and 20 elections for a 
bevy of reasons that we don't have to really get here. But no, I, I didn't, and I probably not, I wouldn't probably would not again either. Um, in in part because, uh, I mean, I'd probably abstain for a variety of reasons. Um, okay. Because uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I would. Uh, it's a long way out, so I could. I don't know for sure, um, but. Um, not, I don't necessarily adhere to some kind of stodgy old ethic of journalistic objectivity, but over time, I do see just the, at least the uh, psychological value for me in not feeling bound at all to each to an individual candidate in order right, to retain some impartiality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you vote for like a bad person, and they win. You kind of feel responsible for whatever. Yeah, exactly. Do. And like and that, that might compel you to like rationalize stuff that you wouldn't otherwise, or you know, whatever. And Richard, are you, you going to answer? Uh, no, I'm not going to answer. Richard, come <laughs> on! You've been writing on your Substack like you know. I believe in inherent racial differences in intelligence. And you, you literally told the whole world that, and you're not going to say. Oh, well, I have to be. I have to be polit- I have to be uh, political. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, it's. Um, I, I think okay, that if I'm, I say I voted for X or I voted for Y. Okay, would you prefer DeSantis to Trump uh, as the Republican nominee? I, okay, I'll say this. Now, I mean, now I think that the differences between the parties are very large. Uh, you know, I think I, you know, I, I do root for the Republicans now after the after the COVID stuff. It, it, I'm not you know, divided. Would you prefer DeSantis or Trump as the nominee? Richard? I I mean I you know I think that um, I would I would go with I would look at the data and see who was more likely to win. I think that's the most important thing. Are the differences between the parties really that large right now? I mean, there aren't that many. I mean, I know you live in, you live in L.A. County, so it's a bit of an outlier in terms of their susceptibility to this oh, yes. COVID I mean, stuff. But, I mean, do you think that I mean, the differences are really that large right now around COVID regulations between the parties? Not just COVID regulations. Well, no, everything. COVID, everything is widening down for COVID. I mean, the, even the Biden. Well, what are these big differences? Um, you know, so. Uh, Definitely not foreign it? policy. <laughs> Definitely not foreign. No, you're picking. You're picking things. Yeah, you're picking foreign policy, which is uh, uh, actually I think Republicans might be a little worse on. Which is you know one reason I'm uh, hesitate hesitate to embrace them fully. But no, the courts. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Roe v. Wade was a big deal. It's not. I mean, that's not my issue for the conservatives. But you know, your tax rate is going to be if you have Republicans. You know, your tax rate is going to go down five to ten percent. Um, the, uh, yeah. all the, all how, the, how about the civil rights law? All the civil rights. I don't know. I'm in New, I'm in New, yeah. oh, I'm in New Jersey. You're in California. Property taxes went way up thanks to the Republican tax bill in 2017. Richard, if, you're Richard, a home, if you're a homeowner. That, yeah. That, the, yeah. might do something like, you know, abolish affirmative action in the federal government. Yeah, I think this, I think DeSantis would probably, uh, would probably um, be more effective. I mean, I definitely do that. But a lot of it, a lot of it is judicial appointments. They would both appoint the same guys. Um, it's you know it's about winning the Senate and appointing the you know the right judges and appointing the right people in the um, uh, in the in the bureaucracy. Uh, so yeah, on on you know on taxes on the COVID stuff when COVID happened, I mean, who knows? There could be another wave or there could be another disease. We're obviously going to get very very different responses based in, uh, based on uh, uh, who's in charge. I mean, it was a Trump. It was a Trump. Uh, well, but, but that's not, but, but 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 I mean, what were, what are the key differences? Uh, in, between the Trump administration and the Biden administration on COVID policy? Because we're talking about the presidential election. We're not talking about, you know, uh, mayoral elections or county boards of supervisors or whatever. I mean, the, the, as well, far as I can see, the, the, the policies between the Trump administration and the Biden administration on, on COVID were almost identical. Well, it's, I mean, it's about what the In fact, there's a, there's, a, there's a faction of, I mean, if you're ever morbidly curious, there's a faction of Twitter where 
they they view they hold Biden in even greater contempt than Trump for what they call his uh, unforgivably lax attitude on COVID. So you know you you look at differences. You have to look at what the federal government can control. So they don't set you know mask policy for the country. But I you know it was a Trump judge that got rid of the uh, the mask mandates on public transportation. I'm sure you know Trump would have got rid of it much much sooner than Biden. So you would have what what they could have controlled. I mean you would have had Trump was. I mean Trump, another thing on COVID is uh, Operation Warp Speed. It was these liberal sort of elites um, in the media who were like, why are they pushing so hard on the vaccine? The Trump administration I think was right on that, and they were right on. Yeah. Yeah, Kamala Harris said, "I don't want to take the Trump vaccine, right?" Then, yeah, exactly. The oh, oh, the prediction. But then, but then, but then, but then, Trump's hardcore supporters were the least likely to take the vaccine anyway. Well, yeah, fine. I mean, I don't care. Like, if Trump won, yeah, got vaxxed. Yeah. Well, yeah. oh, I don't know. I, I just think. I just. I just, I just think. I, I, I mean, I would actually entertain so, at least making an argument that the differences between the parties have shrunk. I mean, there's not there's not as much difference anymore on like domestic spending, um, oh, no, you know, like no. the, the, wait, 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 no. Michael, Michael, but isn't there a big difference on things like civil rights law, affirmative action? No, there is big difference on spending too. You look at the stimulus bills that Biden. I mean, just look at the stimulus bills. The COVID packages. The, the the what about the COVID? Pa- I mean, the Trump. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. Of his yeah. Final bills of the legislation yeah. was basically was just a cash welfare payment. Yeah, yeah. During during COVID, at the end, they did some big. They did some big bipartisan. The things, beginning and the end, and the CARES Act, but, and then the secondary package in December of twenty. No, the 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 government the government the spending. Biden, you can just look. You can just look at the numbers. I mean, the Biden—they've doing these, you know, these these huge these huge bills. Um, and even during the bill, during the Trump bills, the, it was always a negotiation where the Democrats wanted more money and the Republicans wanted less. Even during Trump, um, so these ideological. I mean, okay, but I mean, fiscal, money. fiscal. I mean, uh, but fiscal. I don't think fiscal conservatism is really a paramount value at all anymore for you know conservative activists and elites I, I, and stuff. It's not I, something I that they're they, motivated by. They, they might not be. They as Nearly not, as much as they once were. They might not be, um, but the policy is going to be, I mean, the policy, the, like, I can tell you, the, 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 the taxes and the spending are going to be different depending on Republican or Democrat. Yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be different, but, but, but Trump, I mean, Trump in 2016, one of the reasons why he was so, quote, heterodox was that he basically just abandoned entitlement yeah. reform yes. as a central plank of the Republican yeah. Party. And then, and then he got an office, and then he cut taxes, and he came one then one one vote short of basically repealing uh, uh, Obamacare and having huge cuts to Medicare. So there were there was a, you know so there was a uh, he governed like a typical Republican. By the way, the uh, one thing the Obama do you remember the kangaroo the sexual assault kangaroo courts during the uh, Obama administration? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Actually, that I mean that, that's a different. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying there are no differences, right? I'm just, I just think that oftentimes for partisan expediency. The differences can be exaggerated, especially if you have more of a foreign policy focus, which I tend to do. Yeah. Um, no, and like there's like there's there's virtually zero difference right now in how the Biden administration is handling, for example, China and Russia uh, versus how the Trump administration would have, I think, yeah, especially, I, especially I, in China, where like they call them Beijing Joe and stuff, where yeah. well, then, they, then, well, then he says, OK, oh, by the way, we're going to go to war with China over Taiwan and, uh, you know, we're doing this weird kabuki theater thing with Nancy Pelosi where, you know, we don't care if China now is going to launch, you know, drills to encircle Taiwan in preparation for an invasion or something. I mean, I just don't I just don't buy differences in that realm. I guess it just depends what you prioritize. But if you prioritize foreign policy, I mean, the differences well, I mean, I mean, are lesser know, than ever. 
Well, Mike, no, I, I think that many years, uh, some number of years ago, the, the Democrats, the Republicans were the more hawkish party, and now it's about the same. But I think in the future, the Democrats will be clearly the more. No, hawkish. I, I still think they're hawkish. No. If you look at like Iran, right? Like Obama had a you know a deal with them to you know sort of uh, move towards some kind of normalization, and then Trump comes in and rips up the deal and kills Qasem Soleimani. I think that was the big shift in the hawkish uh, direction. Um, was on Iran. Um, and then, you know, you look at like spending like a military stuff. The Republicans always want more, but no, it's, it's small. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, it you used know, to I, be much larger, right? I think, you know, yeah, there was, it used to be, it used to be larger. Now the Democrats are probably, you know, just as hawkish or more hawkish, but it's not a yeah, big Yeah, but difference. you know, in 10 or 20 years, when these guys like Masters and Hawley, you know, become more prominent, won't the Democrats be the more hawkish party in like it's, 10 to 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to. Not hard on to China. I mean, we, Richard and I talked about this earlier episode, but I, I don't think on, I think on China, clearly the next Republican administration is, it, it looks very likely that they're going to, you know, formally. Move to abrogate like the one China policy and Wait, declare what? Taiwan, um, you know, an ind- independent and you know formalize yeah. more that's, yeah, that yeah security arrangement. The, yeah. There's a vibe in the way the Republicans talk about China that is frightening. I mean, you could look at this policy or that, but if you look at conservative media and it's like this person's connected to China. China did this. China did that. Yeah, There's and that includes DeSantis. And that includes DeSantis, by the way, which is a big reason why, at least for now, I'm dist- abstaining. On any firm judgment, even if I might like, you know, in certain maybe, you know, cultural issues where he could, you know, utilize state power to push back on some bizarre, you know, excesses that might be seen as felicitous by me. I mean, I just can't countenance um, some of this crazed China stuff. And then, you know, I don't think uh, I'm not sure there's a whole big difference on on Russia really either. I mean, the you know we talked about this also last time, but you know this America First Policy Institute summit that I went to in D.C., which is like these Trump administration officials who are probably going to staff the government again should he run or should any Republican win in 2024. I mean, their their main the main thrust of their argument is that Biden is still appeasing Putin. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. sure, but I mean, Hawley isn't saying this sort of. And well, so, Holly was one person in the whole Senate who voted. Are, are you like, um, like an isolation? But, but did you see Holly's argument? Did you actually listen to – Richard, did you actually listen to what Holly's no, argument I, yeah, was? I read, his, I read his article in the National Interest. Yeah. Well, and he gave a floor speech where he expounded on it a bit during the vote um, last week. But it, it wasn't that he on principle opposed NATO expansion at all. He, right. It was just it was a it was a it was a purely practical vote in that he thought that these military resources ought to be deployed instead to the Pacific Theater. Yeah, yeah, it was a very it was not a very you know it wasn't a, certainly wasn't a principled anti-interventionism. That's why I'm saying the vibe of like towards China is frightening among these Republicans. It's like you know this is like Hitler before you know this is Hitler you know nineteen. Uh, uh, 39 like everything we have to drop everything and we have to fight this country which is you know i think i think crazy so yeah you're yeah. absolutely right. and, yeah, it's, 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 and especially since they're still so you know hard line on iran now that there seems to be you know further military ties developing between uh, iran and russia um right. you know apparently putin bought drones or something from iran for potentially use in the ukraine war uh, wow. you know that i mean that can be used as just as they they try to tie China with Russia now in order to 
convince maybe somewhat skeptical Republican voters that the Ukraine war is worth subsidizing. They could pull the same trick with Iran vis-a-vis Russia. And I just don't think there's even much reason to be optimistic on that one facet of foreign policy in terms of Republicans. No, I mean, Trump was worse. Trump was worse than Obama. Trump. I mean, they bragged about this during the impeachment, uh, at least Stefanik. uh, Yeah. Putin. Yeah, I mean that uh, you know B- B- uh, Obama would only send Putin, uh, only send Ukraine rather like pillows and blankets, and Trump sent missiles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they were bragging about being more. Yeah, Trump had to be like Nixon goes to China, but opposite because they thought like he was so pro-Putin, he had to be like anti-Putin. And by the end of his presidency, he was just bragging, "Oh, I'm tougher on Putin than anybody." Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they were. Uh, I think and Trump was still bragging about that as as late as like April of this year. Oh, yeah. After no, the war he, started, yeah, yeah, tr- Trump became Trump became a uh, uh, you know his, it's like his instincts versus what who he surrounds himself with. I mean, it's the Republican establishment. Your your thing your thing on um, uh, when you went to that national you know America First, what was it called? America First, uh, yeah, America First Policy Institute Summit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the people who are going to be running the foreign policy. I mean, Trump <laughs> likes like personally likes people like Doug McGregor. Uh, but you know, yeah. those people won't be running. Won't be running his foreign policy. Yeah. Second administration. And, and Lindsey Graham is still his most uh, the most overt proponent of Trump running again. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, okay, let's go to uh, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Michael. Um, so just so you, you are aware, I did send you the video in a message on this platform. Oh, um, yeah, I, I saw that. I, I, yeah, I, I, mi- I saw that you sent it, but I didn't. I missed it. If you uh, I don't you're on. You must be on Twitter, right? Can you just send it to me? there? Nope, I'm uh, I'm banned. Oh, you're not I'm banned for telling uh, Tisdall, Simon Tisdall to go into the trenches. If he's going to call for war, they <laughs> oh, okay. permanently banned me. Really? OK, my condolences. Anyway, I can reach out to you somehow. You have an email, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Email it to me. Anyway, um, so just looking forward regarding this uh, investigation or search warrant, whatever happened here, I don't think it's going to end here. I, I don't think it's just a I, – I, it does sound like a document search is a way to get their foot in the door to – I mean, the search took 10 hours, right? Nine and a half hours. Yeah, nine and a half, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean – whether or not this goes away or Trump ends up getting charged with something, <clears throat> if Trump were to run again, there's no way this doesn't become an issue if there's any kind of GOP primary, unless he's totally unchallenged. Um, this, whoever's going to be challenged. Well, you, 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 you have, say that, but, up, right? but well, Andrew, you and I discussed this, didn't we? In a, I think it was when I was subbing for um, Greenwald. Um, remember, you recall when Bernie expressly decided to relinquish the topic of <laughs> Hillary's potential criminal liability in relation to the email saga. I mean, you know, it's not, uh, uh, that's just, just to say that it's not unprecedented for rivals of the stronger candidate to forfeit certain, uh, you know, dwelling on certain issues that they think could maybe jeopardize themselves. Or maybe Bernie feels like he had some principal reason not to harp on the yeah. email server issue. But, you know, whatever Bernie's the reason. kind of a, <laughs> I don't know. About a squish? Yeah, that's one word for it. I was going to say an exception. I don't think that, uh, uh, say, DeSantis has the same lack of ambition as Bernie, to put it mildly. Yeah. And so just like, for example, in a hypothetical, I see your point that it's not a given, but let's just say it was DeSantis. And I'd love to hear Richard, uh, what he has to say on this as well. But say it's DeSantis 
and this does become an issue, whatever it turns into, because obviously we have no idea. But say it becomes an issue, Trump's going to be ha- have to take a stance that, you know, it's not he's going to be anti FBI. He's going to be vociferously uh, he's going to be vile towards the establishment. I can't see a world in where Trump's running. This happens and he does. He plays nice or something. It doesn't make any sense to me. It, it runs against everything. Who and plays nice? Wouldn't. DeSantis? Trump. You're... Like he would Trump would be uh, spewing against the FBI as yeah. these allegations come up. And that puts DeSantis in a position of are you? Well, do you agree with Trump? Are you against the FBI? No, he's going to agree with he's going to he's going to agree with Trump. He's not going to he's really? going to. Yeah, of course. DeSantis. I mean, no, the entire narrative on the right is that the deep state is out to get this guy law enforcement. It's Democrats. It's liberals. It's you know, this stuff that this makes Rachel Maddow every night is rubbing her hands together right now. She loves the story. And in the Republican primary you can't be you can't go against everything you know conservatives are talking about and everything they believe so DeSantis has to fight it other way he has to say Trump did this wrong or did that wrong he cannot say like the FBI was justified like that's one thing so it's just crazy because he's a JAG ex-JAG officer right I mean it's it's going to be a crazy thing to try to sell people I I I I haven't I want to I want to know more about his um JAG officer days I haven't really read all that much about it like what he did in Iraq and so forth he, me and Sharp, yeah. was nice and legal, so I'm sure that went well. Yeah. Um, I just thought this was going to be a fundamental conflict, but it surprises me that. I mean, I guess I see what you're saying that some things are going to be third rail issues that you just can't do when you're going to run on this uh, platform. But it seems. I mean, I think the, I think the most viable attack, and it would have to be done very gingerly, which I think DeSantis probably has the capability to do, is because he seems pretty shrewd and um, sharp. But it would have to be some variation of an electability argument. Yeah, like, that's so not that not that Trump did anything wrong when he was president, right? Or, or even operating the presidency, Trump, or like that Trump has to atone for January sixth, or like maybe the FBI has a point, like nothing like that. It's just got to be that you know because of X, Y, and Z liability, Trump is going to struggle to win the election against Biden. Um, I, you know, I. I doubt. Yes. I mean, I don't. I, I. I. strongly doubt at least at this point that those arguments would have much purchase. What? What about? Because um, I actually, th- I actually, I actually think that one of the things that these the, the pundit class that you know has rallied at least in preliminarily around DeSantis, uh, they, they seem to just take as an article of faith that he's automatically going to be a stronger general election candidate than, than Trump. But I, I just don't see much reason to believe that. Um, yeah. I, I just think that you know Trump clearly has still has the ability to animate a certain kind of like apolitical kind of temperamentally conservative voter that, you know, I guess DeSantis could do to some extent, but just nowhere near like this uh, penetration that Trump has into, you know, parts of the electorate that otherwise would be unactivated. I, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, did, why should I just believe right now that DeSantis has a better chance of winning Wisconsin than Trump. I don't think there is any good reason to believe that. I'm just saying I think that they're going to have to make whoever runs against him, unless he's totally unopposed, and I think it is a large possibility DeSantis doesn't even run, that he he someone has to make an argument about this somehow, I would think, or even if it's that once he is in office, even if it's not an electability argument, last time when he didn't have the deep state this going hard against him, he wasn't able to operate, so how is he going to be able to operate as president with this being the condition, whatever it ends up being? I don't know. 
it seems to me that DeSantis, whoever's going to run against him has to make some kind of effective argument. And probably the most effective one would be that they're going to be more able to operate the presidency than Trump. Yeah, but that's kind of a wonky argument. I'm not sure how much salience that would have for like just the general primary electorate. Yeah, but, I, I mean, mean you could say, I mean, you could say like Trump says this person sucks, like Fauci sucks. Okay, who hired Fauci? Trump, Trump appointed exactly. Christopher Ray. Christopher exactly. Ray. So, so you could, you could, that, you, I mean, you could take some track. It would have to be like something the conservatives would like, like, okay, the, we all hate these people. Like Trump is responsible for these people, like these generals and these other people. It can't be the FBI is right and the Democrats are right about January 6th and, you know, you are a, you did try to steal the election. That's not gonna, that's not gonna work. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, if DeSantis, because, I mean, there, there's more and more reporting that it's just a foregone conclusion that Trump is going to run. I don't see why that would be wrong at this point. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this on our last talk, Richard, but even when I was at this America First Summit thing, like all the chatter I heard was that, yeah, he's definitely running. I mean, they're, they're like literally getting the operations in place in terms of a campaign apparatus and whatever. Um, who knows? Maybe he could do some kind of 11th hour reversal. But uh, it seems like you know Trump definitely is running. Um and what was I going to say? Oh, but geez, I lost my train of thought. That's embarrassing. I shouldn't have glanced at my computer screen. Um, it'll come back to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, um, all right, let's go to Thanks for your next time. caller. Thanks, Andrew. Yep. You mean Jenny? Hey, Jenny. Hey, you are up. I'm surprised you guys haven't been talking about the judge. Who signed off on the Mar-a-Lago thing? Magistrate, apparently. He was the Epstein. Uh, he was an Epstein defense lawyer. I know is the big thing that's being talked about. Well, the memes. The memes have been hilarious. I shared one in the comments, and uh, yeah. I, really, I really enjoyed the lampooning of the judge because I think there might be something there. Anyway, <laughs> you were just... talking about the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats right now. And as I see it, the big differences right now are education and healthcare. And, you know, we all know that the Democrats are all in with the teachers unions and the Republicans are all in with, it looks like homeschooling. I mean, I've been a homeschooler now for 30 years off and on. All my kids are grown, but there are more parents pulling their kids out right now because of the shenanigans going on in the public schools than probably ever before in our history. I mean, covid basically demystified homeschooling for a lot of families and then mm-hmm. you know the craziness that's going on in the schools and then you know with healthcare, the left just really wants to medicare for all and the republicans don't so that's where i see the big oh yeah issues. jenny yeah uh, you're right i mean in arizona they just did a, this is a big difference michael i mean you know, we could talk about the national parties or we could talk about the state level the states all some ways have more power but yeah arizona just did universal school choice where basically if you want to check out of the public school system They'll give you like $7,000 and you can do whatever you want with it. You can do a private school. You can spend it on homeschooling and buy textbooks. It's a big deal. The teachers unions do not like this, but I mean, there's a, there's, there's serious policy movements at the state level. Well, the louding election oh, okay. in Virginia was the writing on the wall in terms of school choice and school issues. And, you know, if it came down to that, I would vote for Trump because I think he really understands we need local control and, and the left is just lost on this issue. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think the the impact of the president there is a bit also a bit overstated. Um, just quickly, I remember what my train of thought was on DeSantis. Um, with with it seeming to be a near certainty that Trump is going to run, 
I, I think I'll, some DeSantis backers and maybe even backers potentially of other candidates will say, look, you have – even if the circumstances might not seem perfectly opportune, you still have to run when – it appears you have the momentum, right? <laughs> you have a, the wind at your sails, like Obama would say in 2006 when he first yeah. announced his exploratory committee. And people were saying, oh, look, you know, why can't you wait a few years? You know, Hillary Clinton is running. He would say, well, there's, we have the fierce urgency of now. So like, I mean, people can make a fierce urgency yeah. of now argument in relation to DeSantis because he has this sort of well, I think probably you know, zeitgeist yeah. momentum. But, you know, on the other hand, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it could be somewhat detrimental to have an all-out – bruising fight with you know the most popular still republican in the country yeah. and you know DeSantis is very young and he could still have another full successful term as Florida governor and Trump well, is only going to serve one term well, I, I think, think we're probably so. going to see a Trump DeSantis ticket honestly and yeah. I'll tell you if AOC was to run I, oh, I, please. I would pay money no political said she's the likely person because of her popularity I mean mm -hmm. That was just last week. That race, I would. Who said that? Politico. Seriously. Uh, oh, I mean, Jenny, how old? How old? That's is, how that old sounds is, like clickbait bait to me. It how old is me AOC? It did <coughs> me too. But she is going to be. She would be eligible. She's she's thirty three. She's going to be thirty three. They think um, she's so. She would be. She would be thirty. She would be thirty five by twenty twenty four. By the time she is eligible. I would pay money to watch yeah. those debates. That would be hilarious. Although the Republicans have now pulled out of the debate infrastructure so that's going to be an interesting thing to watch but um yeah you know, yeah i don't know so why fun. i don't know why trump yeah i don't know why he wouldn't offer the vice presidency to DeSantis. um that seems like a good way to just avoid all the unpleasantness i i honestly think that's what we're going to see Maybe, um, but I mean that could that could in a way be I don't know if it'd be a step down. That's probably overstating it, but like that would be, you know, that would DeSantis necessarily making himself subordinate to Trump, whereas he can just choose to run one of the biggest states in the union for the next four years, um, where he could do this sort of. A you know, laboratory of conservative governance thing. No, no, you, you go um, for vice president. You, you go, you know, Lyndon Johnson. He didn't want to. He wanted to stay in the leading the Senate um, because he had all the power there. And the vice presidency back then was a bigger joke than it, than it is now. But he just basically did the calculations and said, "Well, look, like you know, some really huge percentage of vice presidents have become president." Um, and then you know, Kennedy was shot a few years later. Uh, yeah. So, you, you, well, according you, to you, according to Seymour Hersh, Lyndon Johnson was being fed information. Potentially by J. Edgar Hoover about JFK's marital infidelity. So basically, Johnson had blackmail leverage on Kennedy to be named vice president. Okay, well, that's, um, not a, that's not that's not in the mainstream. That's not in the mainstream. Okay. Actually, yeah. the, the Robert Carroll book uh, says the opposite. Johnson oh. really was, uh, you know, he, he was sort Ron, of very divided over. Ron DeSantis has earned so much street cred with his bravery around COVID. And education issues. And I'm, not, I'm a Trump supporter, so you know, just watching him lead the state of Florida, which people are flocking to right now, businesses and small families. And I just think whether he stayed on as governor or he was vice president, it doesn't matter. He has a tremendous future in the Republican Party. There's just no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that he has a strong future in the Republican Party, but my, my, my journalistic instinct is to be a bit wary of 
some of the um, idolization, I guess. Um, anyway, thanks, Jenny. Uh, let's go to Phil. Uh, Phil, before you start, uh, Richard, maybe just give a quick. Do you have a quick thought about certain Ukraine war developments? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but you know, we did have a pretty dramatic incident this week where there was some sort of attack, the details of which are still pretty scant, on uh, Crimea, which, you know, uh, is a major expansion of the scope of the war. There were um, pretty vague accounts that supposedly this was done by Ukraine special forces, although who knows, because, you know, weeks later, you know, it took weeks for for it to be reported that the U.S. was operationally involved in the um, strike on the uh, Russian flagship. So maybe there was some U.S. involvement here. We don't know. Uh, but whatever the circumstances, it was a pretty uh, dramatic expansion of the scope of the war. And you know, Crimea had not been an active war zone, at least in terms of taking incoming attacks until this week. And then even just last night, uh, there was a seemingly similar um, attack, maybe sabotage style. It doesn't It's unclear if it, it was even a missile that struck the Crimea base or something else. Um, but there was a similar attack in a, uh, in a Russian military installation in Belarus, which is the first time that there's been such an attack inside Belarus in, uh, yeah, I territory. So this, the Belarus the, thing. I, I didn't see the Belarus, uh, attack, but Zelensky is claiming, they, they've claimed some like trains. They've claimed credit for both of them. Uh, so the, the, yeah, the, the, the Crimea one is strange. I mean, there's people who say. Uh, like, so apparently, according to the Institute for the Study of War, there's these Russian bloggers, um, these war bloggers who, you know, sometimes criticize the government and they're not just complete propagandists. They seem to say that they're, they don't think it's the Ukrainians, that there was just some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, explosion based on some kind of negligence and handling weapons or something. I don't know. I mean, that's hard to believe. The partisan thing is hard to believe. There's no, there's no evidence. Like you would have a video maybe of like a missile strike. You usually do. Um, with these things, um, and then there's no known way that the Ukrainians would know how to hit it. So it's it's uh, the partisan activity. All thing is also weird because there doesn't seem to have been a lot of that in Crimea. Uh, but yeah, who, who knows? Um, I, I saw one theory that it could have been like a um, some sort of maritime drone that was small enough that it was it wouldn't have been detectable in some of the video footage that's come out. Or, or yeah, there was some sort of uh, sabotage by a by a Russian uh, partisan, you know, or a, or a Ukrainian partisan in Crimea. Uh, I was looking at a Russian, you know, a vague, you know, a roughly pro-Russian Telegram account today, and they they did say that the Russian military of defense, uh, Ministry of Defense was basically just lying about the Crimea attack. Um, so it's like one of the few instances where a pro-Russian Telegram account is like accusing the Russian Ministry of Defense of lying about a war-related incident. Um, but, you know, whatever the exact providence of it, it still is true now that, you know, top Ukrainian officials are um, taking credit for these attacks. Uh, you know, they put out like a trolling statement that, you know, Russians should be more careful about smoking cigarettes in flammable areas. Um, and you know the 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 Ukrainian Ministry of Defense put out a tweet where they're like basically bragging about how you know Crimea isn't safe anymore for Russian tourists in the summer and they should like cut their vacation short. Um, so they're I mean they are 
and they've and the Ukraine has done this before, where like there was this attack earlier on in March on um, on a facility in Belgrade, seeming like a helicopter bound strike, and you know they were kind of cagey about whether to, to take credit for that, and eventually it came out that yeah they did do it, um, and I, I think they might have even done something somewhat similar with the the, the Moskva uh, ship attack. So I mean we don't we don't have the full details, but. Regardless, there does seem to be an expanding scope of hostilities, which is a which is a pretty predictable consequence of what I've taken to be called is just basically the blank check policy of the U.S. I mean, they've basically pledged a bipartisan basis, indefinite support. Yeah, there might be some consternation, you know, in the fall or something when the next round of funding comes, but that also will probably ultimately get passed. Um, so, you know, it's, it's instilled a uh, greater degree of uh, confidence, apparently, in, the, in Ukraine uh, military officials or intelligence officials to, to broaden the scope of, of the war beyond just where it was being, it's been waged since the invasion. So, because I, I remember, I mean, t- correct me if I'm wrong, but months ago, I remember it being dismissed as just too far-fetched to even really entertain that there could actually be an attack in Crimea. Because it would be seen as like a red line, or the U.S. would veto it, or something. And now, you know, if you look at the celebrations around this Crimea incident, it's taken as just like, you know, obviously, a pro, you know, uh, correct, or it should have been an obvious. It should have obviously been anticipated that Crimea would eventually come under a direct counteroffensive. So I don't know. I mean, there's ambiguity, but whatever the ultimate details here it does seem pretty clear at this point that the scope of the war has uh i don't remember i don't remember crimea that was treated i mean it was like not feasible in the short run but i don't think i don't remember people saying i mean no the the official ukrainian thing was you know they're always gonna you know fight for all ukrainian uh territory so yeah I, i don't i don't remember that but it is i mean it is a reminder i mean it's a reminder that uh uh, like if you, like the, you know the the you know the name of the, if Ukraine uh, gets the upper hand, we're talking escalation. I mean Russia. There's still a lot more Russia can do. Russia never like sort of leveled like the center of uh, Kiev, right? They're hitting other things too. I mean there could be you know a lot more that you could do. Um, the nuclear weapons are always in the background. Uh, so yeah, it's a reminder that this could go very uh, this could go very bad. I mean still, there's still that risk. Yep. All right, uh, Phil. Go ahead if you're there. Oh, Phil, uh, Phil, come back on the queue, and uh, we'll get to you. If you, in case you mistakenly uh, exited, which I suspect is the case. All right, John, you're up. <laughs> Phil, uh, hey you can c- come back on the queue, and we'll uh, we'll get to you if you can hear me. <laughs> All right, John, you're up. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Um, hey. Well, one thing that. Sorry, no one's mentioned this. I was just wondering if you guys have ever watched the show Yes Minister. Um, I don't know if you ever saw that one. I thought that it. I I, I love to watch it. I really British it show. It just yeah, the British show. Yeah, I, I know of it. It's like a, yeah. it's like a um, uh, it's like a satire, right? It's a satire. One thing I think it does well that uh, we don't really have in political satires that were made in this country that that, that that I'm aware of is that instead of going after the politicians themselves, which is you know Veep or you know, which makes them look completely incompetent, clown-like, or House of Cards, which makes them look, you know, oh, you know, evil geniuses. This is, it really focuses on the interplay between the government, meaning like, you know, the 
the unfireable kind of civil service and and uh, the politicians who rotate in and try to tame these departments. And it's just so salient, I think, to kind of what we deal with where, you know, these guys come in and they're, they're trying to control uh, the government's normal operations. It's just, I don't know, it's what actually one of my favorite shows because it does a good job. Although it's frozen in time to like 80s Britain, it, it, in my opinion, Ben needs an update. But there's an episode which specifically deals, funnily enough, with this issue, which I think has come up now is can can the prime minister or the president, you know, violate the Secrecy Act by leaking classified information? And it's like, of course, the answer there, as it as it might be here, is no, he can't because he has ultimate classification authority. It just it was amusing to me that that you know. This is like a half hour comedic thing about exactly what everyone's talking about now, except no one seems to talk about it. Um, uh, I did want to talk about uh, Crimea. I, I, I agree that was kind of a weird thing. I'm not sure, Michael, just read, reading from what I saw that the, the long range missiles, the ATAC MS, attack missiles were, were used. But I mean, that seems like a bis- big escalation for like four planes or whatever. Um, it was like thirteen. It was, wasn't it like twelve or thirteen? Like there was a lot of planes that were supposedly yeah. destroyed. No, I don't I think don't it was one of. These, I mean, based on what I've seen, it doesn't appear to have been one of these long-range missiles. A theory I've seen float is that it was some sort of more surreptitious drone attack, or or you know, I think sabotage. that makes more sense. I do, and but I do I do totally agree with you that the expansion of the war with like complete unquestioning is troubling. But I guess I would say, how much worse would it have been if? Former Zelensky campaign advisor Nina Jankowicz was, <laughs> I don't think it along, at the head of the Department of Misinformation. Um, yeah, or if she was back in her old job working for the Zelensky government, which she I, that, that one honestly. Or maybe that, I think she might have actually worked for Zelensky's uh, predecessor. She worked for the Ukraine government at some point. That, that picture just like will be burned into my brain. I'll, I will never get over that. The musical, the that. musical performance. No, no. Well, that okay. I, I hopefully I had almost forgotten that. Thanks. No, just the fact, like the fact that you go from like running the Zelensky campaign to like trying yeah. to be, you know, head of the. It's just unbelievable. Did she run the campaign? Oh yeah, that's right. She did run his campaign, isn't? Or she yeah, was like a man, communications like a, aide of some kind. Yeah. No, I mean that, that just. I, I will say that went further than anything else to really opening my eyes to like how this is basically working on that level. Um, well, she got uh, she she got she got me. Um, she got me interested in musical theater, so. Oh, that's wonderful. I did watch I Grease. I, I did watch Grease this week for the first time because Olivia Newton John died, and I have to say, I did. I mildly enjoyed it. Um, can I say something about the Santis? Yeah, go ahead. Missed, which I think was important. Sorry, no. I just I just wrote notes over the last hour, so I just want. No, to I'm honored. If that's okay with you. Um, Make sure you Santis. archive those notes properly for uh, preservation purposes. <laughs> yes, well, I, I definitely will. Um, DeSantis, one thing you guys missed, two-term limit in Florida. So even if he gets reelected, he'll be out of a job Jan 2027, which is before the end of the first presidential term. Mm. So trying to, I mean, Rick Scott. Well, but, 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 yeah, that's true. But January 2027 is going to be around the time where you'd be launching a presidential campaign anyway. So it's not like he's going to have a huge lag period in being out of office before uh, potentially running yeah, but then the next has, cycle. No, you take vice pres- you take the vice presidency. He uh, because you, you know, what if he doesn't get it? I mean, what if he doesn't get? It? What if it's a terrible? What if Trump wins? 
Uh, see, the thing is, you have to wonder Trump wins and then some, the economy crashes or something. So yeah. a Republican might not have a chance in 2028, right? He might have. Well, I don't know. Did, did, did taking the vice presidency really seem to bolster Mike Pence's prospects? It was that he got closer. I mean, then he would. I mean, he's a better candidate. He's a better candidate for president now than he would be. He's like polling third behind Trump and DeSantis. Imagine Mike Pence, what Mike Pence would be now if he hadn't been vice president. So, yeah, I think it does bolster your chances. Yeah, that's true. Chances. I don't know. I think it's uh, – I, I, I can see an argument both ways. I think uh, you know, Florida in particular has a, has a particular – I mean being the governor of Indiana and being the governor of Florida is uh, comes with a different profile, especially now with you know, Florida uh, rocketing up in the population size. I mean Florida surpassed New York in terms of total population a couple of years ago. Um, you know, so there being a governor of one of like the top two or three states in the country is like a big profile. I mean, there's a risk you're sitting there, and there's a risk something goes wrong. There's a hurricane, and you screw well, up. I mean, you I mean, never but, but, know. but there are certain risks being vice president as well. Well, you at least you at least were vice president. <laughs> you at least had I mean, that. Pen, Pence now has a faction of the Republican primary electorate who are convinced he's a traitor who uh, betrayed Trump. Yeah, well, well, when DeSantis is in that situation, he should throw out the election. <laughs> I mean, he could, he would, it lasted until, like, Trump wanted him to, you know, uh, overturn the elections. I, I don't think that DeSantis is going to happen. could be in the same situation, I guess. Yeah, like, right. my, my, my grandpa, who's um, 101, um, he was, uh, you know, uh, he was, he's in, it was into Trump, still is, I guess, to some extent, but he... Uh, Almost every time I talk to him, he talk he he talks about what a two faced rat bastard Mike Pence is. <laughs> no, yeah, it's pretty funny. I saw these yeah I saw these Trump supporters like protesting outside Mar-a-Lago or something, and they had like Trump Pence, and they just all crossed out Pence like on their yeah there you go. Oh man, well one thing about one thing about DeSantis I thought for a while is that I feel like he's just you know fifteen or twenty pounds away from being like a contender. Like if he looked I like think- Gavin Newsom. I think he would be there. But. I think he's muscular. Isn't he muscular? He's yeah, he looks. Massive. He looks like he looks muscularly bulky, doesn't he? Yes, exactly. I, don't know. Like, I haven't seen him shirtless, exactly, so he looks exactly what you would think, like an ex athlete, like an ex college athlete would look like. But I mean, like, unfortunately, what like, did, did he, what, what sport did he play? He looks he like a football player. He was a baseball player. He looks like he almost looks like a tight end or something. Yeah, no. He well, was, you know, he was that's how you know Mike Pompeo is serious. I mean, Pompeo that's the, is that's real exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Pompeo unfortunately figured this out. I mean, I remember seeing Christie. <laughs> Jeb was, Bush lost tons of weight too. People forget before he ran. This is honestly, I think Christie like could have done better if he had just lost hundred pounds in twenty ten. No, no, like, Christie's char- charisma came from being a big fat guy who yells at people. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Like, well, Christie Christy got the lap band surgery, and then he lost a lot of weight, and then he just he got just as fat again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no people who that happened to it's terrible um, okay one thing I wanted to say democratic versus republican differences um, I'm in finance and so my first thoughts came from like basically economics which I don't think we talked about and you know supply side you know inflation I think is the big thing this year it's just I don't know whether because we you know you still have too many like legacy 80 Reaganomics guys in the republican party but like I agree spending like became more democratic like but supply side I think fortunately for everyone stayed like you know pretty pretty traditionally uh, Republican at least in the, in the sense that like Trump funnily enough you know and I, I think it was pure luck right like his economic instincts and all this like stuff his foundational things sort of came from the 70s 80s so he was like trained on an inflationary environment and he came in and what's he focusing on like gas prices stock market 
you know, this was like, this guy's like burned into his brain. He checks it every morning, like eight times a day, which it's funny enough. It's just like Biden came in and for whatever reason, you know, the American Rescue Plan, which was a difference. That was the party line vote. That's two trillion of demand side policy. Then you had energy supply side policy, which is like unbelievably bad, right? Like you're hauling, you're hauling the oil and gas guys up in front of Congress. You're saying, why aren't you, why are you drilling more? Aren't you ashamed, right? I mean, that stuff all sort of, and then when you put Ukraine on top of that, obviously that, that's a big issue. But like, well, I mean, are you, are you saying that, are you saying that, stuff, right? are you saying that Trump focusing now on inflation and gas prices and such is no, indicative I mean, of him having like a unique yeah. economic vision that cuts against like traditional supply side, you know, 80s economics? No, 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 I think, it was very, I think it was pretty aligned with that. Like he was very right. aligned with the 80s thing. Like, and, and he did it in an, in, in an interesting way. Like there's one thing, okay, without telling too much about myself, like I follow the oil markets very, very closely, right? And um, have for very many years, right? Um, in 2018, there was this, you know, when they were going back on the Iranian deal, which, you know, you, you know, can have a lot of opinions on it, right? But the, they were putting an embargo on Iranian oil. But the funny thing is that they didn't do it all at once. You know, they kind of took a little bit of Iranian oil off the market, and then if prices got too high, the tankers kind of just, they, they, they let them slip through. You could see them go through on the satellites and everything like that. And then... That's interesting. And then, you know, and, and in 2018, it was actually like the, the biggest one-year increase in U.S. oil production of all time in, in, in September these huge pipelines start coming off from West Texas. They start flooding the Gulf with oil. And right after that, he finalizes the pullout and cracks down the oil. And it was just like pulling the tablecloth out, right? Like global oil supply was not really disrupted and they kind of replaced all the supply they took off. And, and that was it. Whereas I just look at here, it was just chaotic. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. that's one big thing. He should, he should. He should. He should. He should run on lifting the uh, Russian oil embargo. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. But I mean, going from being the t- you know the toughest on Putin to the to the weakest, right? Um, and then uh, that's it. I got. That's all I had to say. Except yeah. the, the only thing is that the only people who voted against the Ukraine bill in the House were also Republicans. So I don't yeah, think the green shoots there. The, the, the Tom Masseys of the world. I don't think they have any power, but. I'm glad they're there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, John. Uh, I, oddly, I was a bit surprised by this. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but I saw Tom Massey on the uh, Kennedy show on uh, Fox, and he actually gave a fairly full-throated endorsement of Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. So oh, like, a lot, for a lot of these Republicans, like all bets are off in terms of your prior assumptions around where they would land on anything China-related given – you know, previous track records on foreign policy. It's sort Can of Can I ask you a question? Who's getting yeah. to these guys? Like, someone's going into their office with, like, the PowerPoint presentation and getting them all to... I mean, am I, am yeah. I stupid? Well, I'm I mean, there, there's, there's, there's been an uptick. I mean, it's not massive, but there has been an uptick in Taiwanese uh, lobbying in, in D.C. over the past couple of years. I just read an article that's pretty interesting on in the uh, respons- Responsible Statecraft site, which is like this uh, new, uh, a couple years old uh, foreign policy related think tank that's about like restraint and stuff. And Andrew Basevich is one of the uh, founders who's you know, always always good and incisive on, on foreign policy. But there has been an uptick in um, just financial uh, activity in, in terms of like the equivalent of the Taiwanese embassy. They don't have an official embassy, but their their unit has been, you know, they've been giving money to think tanks more and... Um, and they've had a lot of lobbying meetings. They actually, you know, had a 
had a they set up a meeting uh, with Pelosi in 2019 for, to meet. Uh, I th- might have been the president of Taiwan or some other senior official to kind of like lay the groundwork for an eventual trip. You know, so there uh, there there is that lobbying angle that has been uh, escalating to some extent. I mean, it's still the case at last at least in terms of 2021 20, figures that Ukraine finally supplanted Saudi Arabia as the uh, number one uh, foreign spender in terms of FARA disclosures. But um, I don't know. I, 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 I haven't really familiarized myself that much with Thomas Massey's position on, on Taiwan, but I got the sense that he was just sort of... Uh, it, it didn't strike me that anyone had, quote, gotten to him. It just looked like a sincere belief that you know Pelosi had the right to go to Taiwan, and she should, and we got to stand with Taiwan. I don't know. Fair enough. Anyway, I'll jump off. Yes, Minister, it's a great show, even though it's really oh, nice. old. All right, later. Do you have a thought uh, on that, Richard? Uh, no, I, I'm still also, like you, surprised about Massey. Um, the, um, yeah, as far as who gets to these guys, I don't think you need a Taiwan lobby. You know, they'll find the no, you don't. tell them, you know, they want to be hawks. Like, there's no Iran- Iranian lobby, but there's, like, so they also don't follow that. There's a huge anti-Iran lobby. Yeah, exactly. And the pro-Israel but, lobby doubles as anti-Iran lobby. Yeah, and and but the people they find to like be the new government of Iran are the crazy people, the MEK, right? So they'll find somebody to be like the good, you know, they'll, they'll find somebody to fight China. Like they're look, they're going all over East Asia looking for countries to you know uh, sort of isolate China. And <laughs> the MEK they, thing was so bizarre. It was like Newt Gingrich and Howard Dean would travel together to the MEK conference where they'd be like both brashly demanding regime change in Tehran. It's like they would they would do like the Passover thing where it's like next year in not in Jerusalem but in Tehran, meaning that like by next year hopefully the government will be overthrown. Yeah. I it's still going I mean it's still going on. How do they they still have their conferences, right? I mean they still have uh, they never stopped having I haven't I don't think that I don't think I ever stopped. I haven't heard much about them recently. So they have a twenty twenty two conference here. Let's see who who their speakers are gonna be. Their events are Well I I I bet you Bolton's gonna be back. He's always there. He, he was just giving interviews yesterday because of this supposed assassination plot, which I don't know. I would like to see that corroborated. But um, Bolton reiterated that you know he, his, his, one of his singular agenda items is to see to it that the regime has changed in Tehran still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they will. Uh, yeah. So they, they don't need... Yeah, I mean the entire I mean the entire religion of sort of the American foreign policy, and it's the media too. I mean it's it's basically that. Uh, you know they have that like they have that school book view of history, like the U.S. Uh, you know beat the Confederacy, uh, World War II, you know Cold War, and now they're you know it's democracy versus tyranny. You, you saw this article, Michael, in the Washington Post where they said Trump, uh, they said Biden at the White House had a psychotic dialogue with these experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, Mike exactly. It's like these lame people. And it's like, the yeah. most. It's the most boring. It was like Fareed Zachariah, Michael McCall, or Michael McFall rather. Um, who else? Uh, Ian Bremmer. It's like they. It's yeah. like they, they, they. They picked the most banal people from Twitter. Yeah, and they had the. They, they had the yeah, Michael Betchelos, who's like this, you know, historian yeah. who's like on MSNBC, who's always talking about. Yeah, these were two different events. I think one was. Uh, but anyways, yeah, they're, they're like it's like Biden is soaking it all in, and like the stuff they talk about is like they talked about the 1930s and Hitler and the threats of democracy at the time. It's like you know, it's like something like a fifth grader would you know understand. Um, I think this is legitimate. I think this this is really sort of how they think, and I think that you know, I think it's bipartisan. I don't think there's much, uh, you know, the people who don't buy into that, like they have some other 
grand historical thing like oh you're we're fighting the chinese communist party like the liberals are are not hard enough and th- this is what we need and you know so uh, yeah this is i, I you know, the lobbies and the interest groups are doing something but they're you know they're pushing out an open door yep. all right let's go to uh andy andy you're up if you're there yep yeah the thomas massey uh defense of the taiwan visit that that sounds strange and quite sad well it happened uh go to youtube and type in thomas massey kennedy it should pop up yeah that 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 sounds sad but um my main question was about uh desantis and uh foreign policy so he comes from florida uh i think of florida as a very hawkish state uh when it comes to foreign policy uh the, the cubans uh the jews um so I mean, where, where would where would he fall uh, vis-a-vis Trump? Well, I mean, he's made a he, he's uh, he's played up like anti-communism quite a bit, meaning DeSantis in the handful of statements that I've seen that he's put out that have to do with foreign policy. It's like denouncing Nicaragua and Venezuela and such. Um, I did see an interview he did. I mentioned this on the last call in, but where he was saying that you know China, uh, the, Florida is going to undert- undertake some initiative to expel Chinese real estate holders from Florida, um, and actually in John Bolton's book, in the portion, and I reread this recently because uh, when John Bolton gave his little like sniveling uh, joke about having overseen coups, um, I reread the section in John Bolton's book about Venezuela, and one of the uh, people who came to the White House to basically give the final encouragement for the launching of that coup attempt in 2019 uh, in, in Venezuela was uh, DeSantis. So he was all on, on board with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see. Uh, of course, because he's a governor, his purview is somewhat limited now on, on foreign policy. But when he was a member of Congress. He didn't cut against the grain really at all on, on foreign policy, as I, as far as I know. Um, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't done a full in-depth study of that yet. Um, yeah, but uh, and, uh, and you know, in the in the early in the early portion of the Ukraine war, he gave like some gen- kind of generic hawkish statements. It's funny. I pulled my Twitter uh, following uh, with a quote, asking them, "Who do you think said this quote?" It was something like, "You got to ad- really admire the bravery of the Ukrainians for taking ordinary Ukrainians taking up arms and fighting off the Russian army." And everybody assumed that the quote was said by like AOC or uh, Cory Booker, I think, uh, but it was actually DeSantis uh, in, a, in, a, in a clip that I pulled up from like uh, March sometime. So I don't know. I mean, there's just um, flickers of indicia, I guess, as to what his foreign policy predilections are, but nothing that I've seen really indicates any kind of heterodoxy at all. Um, and you have, you know, I don't know how much you can extrapolate for him being the, a JAG officer in Iraq, but it kind of that must have instilled some uh, like national security-oriented beliefs in him that are probably more uh, establishment-oriented, but I don't, I don't know. Do you know anything about that, Richard? Uh, you know, he, there's a, no, I, I don't know much about his, you know, like, you know, it's, actually, I looked at the, I found the quote that you were talking about, and he seems to, 
I feel like for what the where the Republican Party is right now, he could demagogue the China issue more than he does. He seems not to do that as much. I mean, he does, I'm sure, but it's like it doesn't seem like it's that thing. I, you know, he seems, you know, he seems not that interested in foreign policy. He doesn't really seem like his, his heart is into it. I don't know. It seems like he's, you know, he's he's got he's more of a domestic policy focus, which is probably uh, good politics. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think if there's no indication he'll think uh, he'll be any, anything other than a conventional uh, Republican, um, which will means he won't, you know, go too far. You know, he won't go too far in either direction. He'll probably be a conventional Republican president, which means he won't do anything too crazy. And no, you're not gonna you're not gonna get some like anti-intervention. But who knows? Maybe in his heart, I mean, he's really right wing. People who are really right wing tend to be anti, you know, support for Ukraine. You know, maybe when he's president, you know, he'll, maybe he would take steps in that direction. But that's just a guess. Well, during the whole uh, don't say gay thing, which I didn't follow that closely contemporaneously because I was like running around Poland at the time. Um, but I just pulled up a quote of his via that he put out via his representative where he's basically was basically saying that Disney is enthralled to the Chinese Communist Party. And that was part of the reason why he was yeah, revoking that's, that's, this status. Exactly. So... I don't know. He seems to have uh, harped on it somewhat. Do you think it's possible that um, you know if he if he runs, he'll get the the backing of uh, the you know the GOP establishment, like the 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 very top uber neocon brass? Like I I would find I'd be interested to hear like what you know the people associated with the Institute of the Study of War and groups like that um, if they would you know if he becomes the nominee. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I think they're, the realignment is pretty set now for like the true upper crest of the neocon elites, like the handful of actual full fledged neocons like a Robert Kagan or something, um, you know, whose wife uh, runs that uh, or is it his brother's wife who runs someone someone in this Fred Kagan nepotism. Yeah. yeah, Fred Kagan, his brother's wife runs the Institute for the Study of War. Um I think that they could conceivably – I mean the thing that neocons are so adept at doing is insinuating themselves into party coalitions that you know, will comfortably embrace them as sort of the agenda setters for foreign policy. But I think in terms of like the, the most notable like leading lights of neoconservatism, the, the migration to the Democratic Party is probably complete, especially like a Bill Crystal or something who's more just like a pundit, I guess. But um, – uh, Especially if they could, if they're thinking of DeSantis as a proto-Trump who's like a threat to institutions and such, then maybe they would stand back. But there are there are plenty of non-neocon hawks. Yeah, like the Cheneys. I mean, it's, yeah, Liz, Liz. I feel like I don't know. I, I I envision a 2024 in which you know Liz Cheney endorses Ron DeSantis. Like I could I could imagine that happening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I could go either it. way. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Liz Cheney herself might run as like the token, um, uh, you know, pro democracy candidate or whatever in the Republican primary. So, who knows? Well, thank you. All right, thanks, Andy. And let's go to uh, Phil. Phil, welcome back. I saw that you uh, might have erroneously uh, ejected yourself before. So, I think I might have done something. I have no idea. It was probably the stunning transition back to Ukraine. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we gave you such whip, whiplash. Lost my, 
I lost my train of thought. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I was going to talk about the attorney general, but, but I, I wanted to react to the Ukraine comment. I, I, I believe what they're doing now is uh, uh, you're going to see a lot of these dramatic uh, kinds of provocations uh, because uh, otherwise people are waiting for the Kherson uh, offensive, you know, to take back uh, all that territory and everything. So, so if you look, even if you look at the Institute for the Study of War or any of their maps, you know, I mean, there's a, a consistent movement. You can see what the, the Russians are doing. And uh, the Ukrainians have an inability to counter it and everything because I think the, uh, the loss rate is something like 10 to 1. You know, no matter whose numbers you use, if you use Zelensky's numbers, it's an astonishing... Uh, 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 number of uh, you know, KIAs on a, da- on a daily basis. And I think uh, that that's making Europeans nervous and everybody else nervous because they see which way this is going. Um, so I, I, I can I expect that you'll see more and more provocative actions, you know, by the Ukrainians to, to try to, uh, to jack this up because they can't do it on the, on the battle in a significant way. That would be jack, jack, jack it up. You that. mean by like um, eliciting some kind of more direct NATO intervention? Well, or I think they've, I think they've tried to provoke uh, Russia into responding. Uh, uh, you know, by actually using uh, what they have to hit uh, uh, you know some population center or taking out some uh, uh, you know administrative buildings in in Kiev or something like that. You know. Um, so I think these are provoca- provocations. They're, they're, they're relatively dramatic, but I don't see the strategic significance. It will simply mean that they'll have to, uh, you know, it's like having the HIMARS, you know, and then they have two days of intense HIMAR uh, success. And then uh, Soviets, or the Russians bring in, uh, you know, more S-400s, gin it up. And now all of a sudden, you're, you know, you've gone from, what, 14 down to 7, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I mean there's a... There's a general attempt to build them up, but they haven't had much to build them up about. So the only things you've heard about, what are the dramatic uh, Ukrainian uh, events? Uh, the uh, the re-re-retaking of Snake Island, uh, planting a uh, flag on uh, on the Russian border, and uh, and these kind of you know provo- provocations. I'm not sure what happened in Belarus. So it sounds like a similar kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, there's the also the situation with the um, the nuclear power plant, and uh, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, Zaporizhia, something like that. Zaporizhia, yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, or all this nonsense, or the other one was the uh, the, uh, the prisoner of war situation. You know, I, I mean, you know, you've literally got public officials from Ukraine suggesting, well, the Russians apparently they shoot them up in the air, you know. And they come straight back down and they shoot themselves. It, you know, it, it's all kind of goofy, but it, it, it only makes sense in, in terms of, you know, kind of ginning up these provocations to, uh, to continue uh, the, the money flow and everything. But I mean, if you look at the, any of what's happening on the ground, it's pretty clear that the, we're, we're talking a month, two months, they've cleared the East End. They're going to go into Odessa, uh, especially now. I mean, this has only convinced them that they've got to do that. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's just going going south. I think the U.S. is probably, uh, let, let me backtrack a second. I don't know if you, you guys are kind of young. So you may not remember the beginning of the, uh, when Britain went back into the Falklands. Uh, 
to take I wasn't, it I wasn't alive, but I, was, uh, <laughs> I tried to familiarize myself with that. I, I'm afraid I, I was. I, <laughs> I, work, I work in a Latino community, so we had to argue about Malvinas versus the Falklands. But anyway, uh, there was something stunning that happened at the beginning of that war uh, that people don't talk about now, which was uh, the, the dramatic uh, uh, sinking of a, uh, of a Argentinian ship. Uh, and suddenly yeah. people realize that if you sink a ship, you know, up to a thousand people can die, okay. which is very similar to what would happen somewhere around China if there was actually an engagement. But anyway, so there was that. And then the use of uh, <coughs> a bit of new technology, which was the Exocet missile, which took out a, a British, I think it was the Hood or something, a, a, a British ship. And I think those were stunning to people. And I think you've got a little bit of that going on in Ukraine uh, right now. People are not familiar with what happens in kind of modern warfare. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, we've got, we've got this bad track. I think the U.S. is trying to, uh, you know, continue as much as possible, even though it's looking bad. Uh, because that does erode Russia's uh, uh, capacity, presumably. I mean, didn't they run out of weapons uh, missiles like in March or something? <laughs> yeah, Russia so, anyway, supposedly I mean, had run out it, like it's 12 times. a result of this propaganda effort. Uh, I, I don't think there's much significance to what was uh, going on there now. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but let me come, just, just if I can make a quick comment on this uh, uh, Garland thing. Cause I yeah, yeah. I try to catch that today. Uh, and I watched him, and, uh, you know, it, it was a, a long wait for. Very little, you know. <laughs> Three minutes. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, when you see Garland, you see someone who is, uh, you know, really weak sauce. I mean, you know, this is a guy that's been pressured into, uh, you know, into, into going after these parents, and which was, has only, you know, helped uh, Rufo and company and everything been able to take advantage of. I mean, doing silly things like that, that uh, because they're being pressured to do it, uh, by Randy Weingarten, who has gotten more and more out there as time has gone on. I mean, so he, I think he's weak. So I think a very reasonable explanation for all of this is uh, what I think one of your first callers mentioned earlier. I think it's the most plausible, and that is that uh, you know that the, the, they went in. They were hoping to get uh, uh, something else, but I think they were pushed to do something, and. Uh, uh, I don't dismiss just plain incompetence. <laughs> I mean, Dems <laughs> have been known to do some very dumb stuff. I don't think this was a particularly wise move uh, because, yeah. as you know, you can tell by your callers, all it's done is jack up a base, made uh, Trump more viable, <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of secured his narrative, I think. Uh, over time, I, I don't know how it makes any sense. Well, you know, a lot is a lot is unknown about what transpired here. But one thing that is known for sure is that Garland has personally been under tremendous political pressure for months, right? Basically, since the day he took office in January of 2021 to charge Trump with something, anything, right? Um, <laughs> and there was a. Um, there was a clip uh, that went around uh, the, on Monday 
uh, somebody, I mean, I can't verify the, the veracity of this, but there was some uh, former official, a former Justice Department official who was saying that, he, he, according to him, his understanding is that this, meaning document retention stuff, was seen as the most viable avenue to land a charge on Trump, meaning like it was the one thing that they could think of to do that would be most tenable and, and pursuable. Um, so, you know, I, it could just be as simple as the, there, there's been braying for mm-hmm. some sort of criminal liability to be slapped, criminal liability to be slapped on Trump now as just a catch-all for everything that, everything that he's alleged to have done wrong over the years, including January 6th <laughs> and whatever. And, uh, you know, they just basically launched a fishing expedition by, uh, seizing all these records to see if there was anything that might be actionable. I mean, that's a plausible theory to me, but, um, you know, maybe it could be, it could have been done in a more competent way. Uh, but the, um, I, I'm, I'm tending, especially given the legacy of Russiagate and how manipulative that was in terms of, you know, imputing some kind of criminality to Trump that was never borne out. Um, I'm I, at least, for now, I'm tending toward some of the more cynical interpretations. <laughs> Let me, can I make one more comment? And that was on your, your the differences between the Democrats and Republicans. Thing. And I, yeah. I think you, you, it, it gets interesting there because you do have the, you know, the masses, which apparently well, that surprised me. Here, I, I hadn't seen that comment. That didn't seem in time with them. But, but, but here's where I'd go with that, and it, and it seems to me that. Uh, Having been, and, I, and by the way, I'm a lifelong Democrat. So I should make the, well, me too, the, technically. <laughs> the, the, I should make the, uh, the the apologia at the beginning of the comment because everybody accused me of being a, a Trumper, but I, I have the receipts <laughs> for my votes. Uh, both parties, I think, what's confusing is what you see is that both parties, particularly the leadership, the establishment of both parties, are absolutely out of touch with their bases. Uh, they have no, no sense of what's going on. You know, look, I, and just to give you a very quick example, you've heard me before, I love Gary, Indiana examples. It's a 70% African-American community. Right? Yeah. I, I work in neighborhoods. All right? Jackson work. 5. <laughs> yeah, you got, well, they, even they left. Yeah. <laughs> Little glass is gone. But, uh, uh, this is a sanctuary city. Okay. It's, uh, Gary, Indiana is a sanctuary city for Gary, Indiana immigration? Is, is a huh. designated sanctuary city and went all the way up to the, uh, the Supreme Court in Indiana. Uh, and, uh, you know, big fight over that and everything. Uh, but but here, here here's my point. If you talk to people on the street, the idea that you have a large African American community that is totally committed to uh, unfettered immigration and open yeah, borders is, is bollocks. <laughs> is, is is insane. Right. It, it, it just is insane. Now that doesn't mean you won't capture the votes here. Okay? Right. And that's the dilemma that the local uh, elected leadership are in because simply because unlike the old days where you had power in local democratic machines, now power is handed to locals based on their approval from above. 
follow right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The, okay. the, the, the decline that's of party who, institutions. Yeah. Exactly. That's who they have to please, and that's why you get these ridiculous issues. I've worked my whole yeah. life as a community organizer. I worked in largely Latino communities and African American communities. Uh, you could go to any Latino community in the country, and you will not find the support for immigration that the Democrats have given. No. Right. Now, yeah, I, I, you know, and there, and there has been. Uh, let me say one, one thing because it's. I want to get this one off my chest. Yeah, this is just. It's, uh, it's, just, it's a uh, terrible thing. If you could just be quick, Phil, because we want to uh, sure, okay. wrap up pretty, pretty soon. That's a, that's on the dreamers. Okay? Right. Because the dreamers are majoritarian strategy. And competent leadership of that movement should have been able to get them fixed and supported through the last three administrations. There's no reason. And, and you've got to lay that at the Dems and the people that are supporting it to, you know, to say, I want the issue, not the resolution. Anyway, yeah. that's my... Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Phil. Interesting stuff. Food for thought. Yeah, there has been some talk, I think, more and more, at least in the past couple of years, about this clear divide between kind of Ill, uh, professional activists uh, in the immigration policy domain and the more you know ordinary voters whose sentiments seem to uh, diverge pretty pretty wildly. But anyway, uh, let's we got to move on for time's sake. I'm sure Richard is. Getting antsy, so let's go to mortality and old, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Which I mean, I'm sure that's both of your real names. All right, mortality, aka Hillary Clinton, you're up. Uh, you guys were talking about DeSantis, and I feel like, personally speaking, DeSantis has never taken an L in his life and survived. That is, and Trump always has, from his bankruptcies to the 1990s to his reinvention of rally TV host to Mueller impeachment. And the second impeachment is multiple tax investigations. He's always been able to reinvent himself, survive, find a way out, and never commit provable crimes. DeSantis right. has never done that. He's never made... He's, I can't name a single L or single setback he's ever taken. And even all the hype around him is literally him standing behind a press conference um, giving out policy that activists have told him to implement. Like, where's yeah. his... Gusto, where's his back against the wall? And he's going to go up against Trump, who will put his back against the wall the first time in his entire life. I don't see it. So if, if he took a few more L's, you're saying, then that would give him Survive. like this... Sorry? Like his life. He's, he's, he's yeah. 40 years old. Like he's he's done the um, professional class, like good, good grades in school. Did athletics, went to Harvard, went to Yale, went to JAG. Like, these are like your career path. Yeah, it's definitely more, a more traditional political trajectory for sure. Than it's not even traditionally political. It's like, it's, it's like your McKinsey person. Your <laughs> McKinsey person's going against Trump. Yeah. And Trump is pure instinct whereby his policy positions, he put them in the 1970s, and that was pure instinct. So, in terms of trust that the base has, in terms of elites, Democrats are aligned with their elites, while Trump is the elite. There is no other guiding principle for the, uh, for the Trump base other than Trump's words, because the Trump base has trusted instincts, whether or not the actual words or the policy may not come right. Eventually, he will veer back to his instinct as he gets more power, which happened throughout his presidency. Yeah. 
and he keeps he keeps winning uh, primaries at least a few uh, in, in the sense of the candidates he's endorsed like the candidate he endorsed in the Wisconsin gubernatorial race just won over the candidate who was the uh, who had been endorsed by Scott Walker who was you know the former governor of Wisconsin and yeah. this was his lieutenant governor and uh, the the guy Trump endorsed just won so I mean there is and, still a lot of potency there and here's the biggest thing about Trump you if you actually like. I'm not sure how well you know the RNC and the entire Republican structure, but the number of loyalists that, that have been installed at every state party level, every grassroots level, that are just purely loyal to Trump above all else, com- compared to the general Republican primary population, is insane. So I don't think, like in terms of the ground game, he, he'll be able to um, activate, let alone the state governors, the congressional, congressional uh, committees, like the investigation that will happen, will, the investigation that will happen in 2023, 2024 will only have one purpose to help Trump's chances of winning the general in 2024. That's yeah. it. Well, and, and, and Kevin, I mean, Ken, Kevin, I mean, Kevin, I mean, 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 I what I mean, 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 Tell me the activists that are on the ground, other than Rupert probably and Josh Hammer, that are significant, have money behind them, and have hundreds of thousands of people underneath them, let alone, like, you saw the, when the raid happened, every one of Trump's advocates went on Fox, went on Newsmax, went everywhere to spread the exact same narrative, and that happened within three hours. Yeah, including DeSantis. He called it, he said, the Banana Republic. I I got, uh, like, RNC generic emails with... You know that purport to be sent by DeSantis, where he's condemning the Banana Republic raid yeah. and such. Like, how is he taking on the Trump machine? This is Clinton machine on steroids with someone with a natural instinct to what the Republican base wants, yeah. and he can go as far as the right as he wants. There is no limit for Trump other than winning. Yeah. And Richard, what, Richard, you have a thought. Dollars. Three hundred seventy-five million dollars because he cleaned up his balance sheet in uh. terms of his um. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Michael, I think I, I think we should probably we got to wrap up. Yeah. I okay. Got to wrap up. So. Okay. Um, let's uh, just because I promised him old. If you have a quick concluding comment, please please do so. But yeah, we're uh, since we're over the two hour mark and R- Richard's yawning, we got to uh, <laughs> conclude here. Well, thanks, guys. I don't have a quick comment, so I will just uh, call back. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is... Sorry about that. Okay. Appreciate that, old. All right. Well, All right. Was... Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Richard. And uh, we'll reconvene amidst the, the shambles of our constitutional republic next time. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, Michael. Bye, everyone. Bye.